I was like, Kristen Dunst was in this movie? I had the Anastasia movie open. So let me close that real quick. Stop being reminded of a better movie while we're doing this. Oh, that'll come up because they reference better movies all the all fucking, the fucking time. time. It's, it drives me up the wall. I had to stop watching this movie and go do other shit. No, no, for sure. I also had to do that multiple times. Welcome to Direct Video. That's our VHS. cleanest intro ever. <laughs> uh, a podcast where we pair VHS. movies like fine wine. VHS? VHS. I am your co-host, Tony Urbisto. And I am your co-host, uh, Andy Reyes. Um, I feel bad. I feel really bad about this. Um, about this or just about, like, feeling bad? I just... I'm, I'm, I'm really happy that I chose these two movies because, in a way, uh, one, I completely, like, changed my tone and opinion of one movie. Mm-hmm. But the other, I, like, read about its history, and there's some really interesting stuff that happened with that movie kind of behind the scenes. Is that going to be Sword in the Stone with the interesting stuff, or is that no. Quest for Cam- What? Quest for Camelot. Because Quest, oh, Quest for Camelot is a clusterfuck of a production, my guy. It uh. is, it is, um, it's not that, there's not that much information on it, but what there is, is interesting. Especially because of how relevant it is. Like, uh, it shows kind of a consistency to Warner Brothers productions that I didn't expect to be there. But we'll get to that. We'll get, like, this is a teaser. This is a... Yeah, first things first, Sword in the Stone. Got any interesting stuff about this? Um, ooh, you know what I didn't do? Open IMDB. What do we got here? IMDB, where I go for all of my relevant, uh, facts. We're not sponsored by them, but... You're just a very informed person. Yeah, no, I, I'm, in fact, what I meant to say was I forgot to open the IMDb-like part of my brain that, um, And he needs to go to the special room in his brain palace. Yeah, in my mind palace (laughs) that I, I called IMDb for convenience because it's like a database of movie information. Good, perfect. About about these movies um honestly not really uh this movie a something that i will say is i got this movie i got i get this movie and the the black cauldron mixed up all the time i feel like black cauldron has so much more of a okay well black cauldron has a story with a beginning and end and this movie kind of doesn't yeah but also i don't like black cauldron and i do like this movie or at least Every it's... time I think about rewatching Black Cauldron, I continue to dislike it. Whereas okay. this movie, I kind of, I, I, I flip flop. Like there are some parts of it that I'm not, I'm not too keen on. There are other parts of it that I, I really do enjoy. But I will say that uh, this movie went through kind of a lot of very interesting production stuff. Like Walt Disney obtained the film rights to The Sword and the Stone. Um, they actually. Uh, obtained the film rights specifically to the book The Ill-Gotten King like way back in the 1940s and Gosh, late 1940s. I had not I had not even considered that that might not be out of copyright when Disney was working on it. And it it's technically out of copyright now in most countries uh, the exception I think being ours because of... Yeah thanks Mickey Thanks yeah fucking thanks Walt Disney by the way fuck you 
You piece of shit. Yep. I'm glad you're dead. Okay, well... Uh, I sorry, that's a little bit harsh. But um yeah, so so he I just find I mean it I'm glad you're not some kind of weird zombie person. It's yeah. been a grip. It'd be weird if you weren't dead. I don't know. Could be okay, interesting. Cool. But yeah, so so the they they had it tossed around different uh different projects based on uh this book series. Mm-hmm. Uh eventually uh an artist, uh an animator and writer by the name of Bill Pete basically kind of got free reign to do to do the whole project so he did the script writing and on top of that he actually did like uh, a bunch of um, sketches about characters he had this entire production set up by himself um, mm-hmm. uh, apparently Bill Pete was a very like because because he was like a veteran artist at Disney and also because he had the writing chops to back it up he and Walt got into a arguments often about how a story should work itself out which eventually led to his leaving mid-writing of the jungle book oh dang but but this this entire movie was like all bill pete for the most part um in, okay i think he would be the one i'd have to take up with about the fact that this movie does not have a story then yeah i didn't mean to i didn't mean to sound so angry about it i feel like i sounded angry about it no no i i think you're good i, I it's it's like such a complicated i think both both you and i have read uh th white's the sword in the stone series you know i don't think or, I have. or sorry once in future you haven't it's very good i highly recommend I, it it's... i'll tell you what i have read i have read la morte arthur oh you read the original uh sir thomas mallory yeah or at least most of it for an english class yeah, it's very dull and weird. But because of that, I know about the complicated way that King Arthur dies. But I don't think I, I don't think I read the the newer Sword in the Stone series. So uh, I actually prefer um, the Once in Future King. It's a tetralogy, tetralogy, tetralogy. I'm gonna go with that. What it's a tetralogy. Is that thirteen? So four. That's four. Okay, like that makes more sense. Oh, te- oh, duh. God damn it. <laughs> Sorry, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a tetralogy. Technically, it's a, a pentology because there is a, a kind of sort of fifth book, but mm. officially, it's four books about King Arthur and then another fifth book about Merlin. It's very good. I actually prefer it to Lamort d'Arthur because it's uh, th white got rid of a lot of the really a lot of those super christian weirdness that goes on in uh arthurian legend okay well the thing the thing about la morte arthur is it's one of those stories that you read and in the footnotes they're like okay so when the invaders came this bit was added because the invaders were christian and that's interesting to me <laughs> yeah it's it's there's a lot of there's a lot of weirdness in mm-hmm. Lamort d'Arthur that that T.H. White took out and just he wanted to write a, a story. story. Yes. Okay. And Lamort d'Arthur wants to be a myth, like a mythos or a legend. It's like a, like yeah, a it's living like a legend. Pseudo history. Yeah, it's it, and and I dislike that about it. Um, now I will say also that while Bill Pete was working on this there was another project that was kind of on the line called Chanticleer. Okay. Chan- Chanticleer. 
Chanticleer. Anyway, the these two projects were kind of opposed, and they they didn't they weren't meant to be, but. Bill Pete was very much not wanting to make this story. He wanted to make this sword in the stone story, but uh, Anderson, Davis, Milt Call, and Wolfgang Reitherman, uh, who are four, five, uh, five of the old men, like these guys are OG Disney goons, mm. were working on this other storyboard, and they very much kind of had to put aside their differences and work on Sword in the Stone after Disney got himself behind it. So there's like there's a there was a lot of a lot of uh, insider bickering between Bill Pete, who this was his pet project, and Anderson Davis Call and Reitherman, who were, for all intents and purposes, heads of animation for Disney. From what I could tell, Bill Pete was kind of always the odd man out because he while he was an animator, he he very much preferred illustration, and he eventually went on to become an illustrator for children's books. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, so the other trivia, and this is something that I think I noticed halfway into watching this movie, but you probably noticed as well, is that they had three different voice actors for Arthur. I did not notice this. Yeah, his oh, his his voice changes so radically, like sometimes in like scene to scene, that at first I was like, who's this other kid that they ADR'd like, <laughs> into this movie? But it turns out that the original child actor went through puberty halfway into Uh-oh. doing his line work. So in class, again, this happens to Disney a lot, by the way. Like, I know that there's another time in which this happened to a Disney film. How do you not just re-record the whole thing? Yeah. I guess it's a budget thing, but I'm trying to, I'm, I honestly wonder how much extra money you're losing by having to scrap that. Yeah, it's it's always weird to me, but it it's probably a not so insignificant amount. But I think a big part of that is just matching matching, especially a child actor's voice lines to the animation is probably very difficult. Right. So if they're already animating by the first actor's voice lines, then they wouldn't then they would have to try to get the new voice actor to match that animation, yeah. and that would be bad. This film's part of that kind of big era of Disney. You know, Disney. Walt Disney himself was, you know, duh, I, uh, in a very poor way of saying it, on his way out of the animation business. Uh, he passed away not shortly after. This is one of the many films which was Walt Disney's, like, last thing he touched before he died, right? Like, this was that era of Disney, you know? Mm-hmm. Disney was becoming less and less involved in these movies, and the nine old men were becoming more and more set in their ways about making certain kinds of films. And The Sword in the Stone really stands out in the midst of all that. You have all of these, like, animal features and then this one character, human-driven piece that I think is very interesting. Because there's, there's a lot of, like, animation chops on display in this movie that are really fun and wonderful. Mm-hmm. But but the the writing and the pacing of the story just can't back it up. And I'll, And I think we'll talk about what our feelings are on that once we get to the story bits we'll get to it yeah i want to talk about how merlin's a bad character too oh no don't tell me that i loved merlin okay well we're gonna talk about it so (laughs) i see myself in him Uh uh-oh all right so in a classic disney fashion we have uh, a storybook opening a dramatic british narrator tells us about the legendary king who died. I want to talk about this opening song because I don't get it. It's like a ballad with a chorus backing, like a folk song ballad with a chorus backing. 
Mm-hmm. And they could have just done the folk song, but Disney, old Disney, loved chorus. Old Disney seems to really just love choruses, and it's it's a it's a real problem. Mm. Yeah, I agree with you. It's not that great. It was just it was baffling. It didn't make any sense. Okay, go on. The good king of England died. He left no heir to the thrones, and this sword at his death magically appeared uh, inside of an anvil in London, with the inscription proclaiming that quote. Whoso pulleth out this sword of this stone and anvil is rightwise king, born of England. So this is the part of the story that really lost me. No one can remove the sword and they forgot about it. The narrator says this. Did he say they this forgot is... about it? Yeah, he says that they forgot about it, but but this is a, but this is proven it's to be in a not true. Yeah. Yeah, like this is proven to be not true later. But whatever, I like a that, decade like, or so passes. I bet that like like 14 year olds go by the sword and like give it a tug just in case all the time right for sure like if 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 this sword lived around me i'd go and give that thing a good yank like every year until my like adult birthday which i guess in this era would be 16 so we kind of move forward in time and we meet uh we meet merlin who the first thing he talks about is how much he hates being in medieval times and it made me wonder what it must be like to know about stuff like indoor plumbing and also know that you personally will never have it. Later, it turns out that Merlin can go to the future. He doesn't just see it. So yeah, it's, it's fine. I guess he, he has pooped in a toilet before, but it... Well, the, other, the, the, the other thing is, is like Merlin, uh, according to this film and according to the books, mm-hmm. uh, doesn't live through time linearly because he's a wizard. Like he lives through time, they say backwards. The that's the those are the words that Merlin uses. But I get the sense that that's Does just he like. Does say it in this story? Does he say he goes through time backwards? He doesn't say it in this story, but um, okay, okay. But he does allude to it. Like he alludes to the fact that he doesn't experience time like a regular person. Right. I know that some. I know that some Merlin stories have him going through time backwards, and I think yeah. that's a fairly modern idea. No, that's a that's a T H White thing. That was T H White. That was that was him who did that. And the idea was that, that it, it gave him the ability to A, have Merlin make modern anachronisms and have it right. be in character, and B, also kind of added to Merlin's eccentricness to the other characters around him. I have always felt that Merlin felt like a, a proto-genie. Because I feel like... A, a, yes, I see that. The genie, especially as Robin Williams delivers him, is really good at just making a bunch of references to stuff that he doesn't he shouldn't know about uh and and just hand waving it away and merlin does it and it it works in the movie but it feels kind of dry and a little bit clunky maybe it i think i think what it is is that the genie is such a is well i shouldn't say the genie robin williams is such a character actor he Mm -hmm. and everything that the genie is embodies this robin williamsness that really lets you i don't know it lets you buy into the the farce in a way that this merlin does not have uh he comes off as being more of a what they 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 use the word bumbling at some point in the movie he is pretty bumbling he seems to have real memory issues and um i'll get into his huge character flaws later when they come up 
there, there is a there is a huge character flaw moment near the end of this movie that I disliked. But other than that, I think he comes off as fairly nonplussed and a, a good father figure for the most part. So when we see him, he's preparing to meet Arthur because he knows somebody's going to show up and doesn't know who. And he's talking to Archimedes about this. A talking owl. We haven't had one of those in a while. We super have. Well, I guess it's been a it's been a. A it's been a hot minute. while, but just Disney loves talking owls. And you know what? I like Archimedes. Disney likes talking owls. And you know what? Sorry. You know what else Disney likes that I just realized isn't in this movie at all, despite the fact that it was ripe to happen at any moment? Suddenly okay. Bear. Oh, my God. I, I was oh. expecting it to happen. for so, like Instead, we get kind of a mangy wolf. Are but bears in England? Yeah. We've talked about this. There are. They have a word they're for just, bear. They're just bigger bears in America. Yes, we just. Amer- it's just that America has a ridiculously sized bear. So, Archimedes. Archimedes is like the voice of reason to Merlin, and Merlin often ignores him, which bothers me. I really see them as two halves of a whole. Archimedes is very intelligent and very present, but seems to lack the ability to express empathy in a way that's productive. At the end of the movie, and I don't want to jump to the end movie, but at the end of the movie, Merlin fucking leaves. And (laughs) Archimedes stays. Archimedes stays to, like, help Arthur still. And that's, that's more interesting to me than almost anything Merlin did the entire movie. Because this owl who supposedly doesn't who who keeps acting like he doesn't care has been hanging around this boy because he wants to make sure he grows up right. And so maybe in that way they are two halves of the same whole. Um Archimedes and Merlin are waiting um and now we and then we cut to uh, a young boy Arthur who is kind of a pushover, very meek and scrawny and he is the squire for this guy named Kay who is the son of he- who is the son of Hector, who is Arthur's kind of adoptive father. Yeah, so Kay is like his foster brother. Uh, He really just comes off as more of a foster bully. Yeah. Arthur makes Kay miss a shot, shoot an arrow off, and then Kay makes Arthur go get the arrow. Yeah, Arthur really like pushes back Bambi by a good hundred years and runs into (laughs) the forest to uh, retrieve Kay's arrow. Kay says that forest is swarming with wolves, and that made me so mad because it's a magical forest in a magical England, and we know at least a wizard lives there, and later we find out an evil witch lives there, and the best they can do is wolves. And you know what? This wolf is so sick looking. This mo- and this awful. wolf This wolf is the least threatening thing. The deer was perfectly healthy. Why does this wolf go after a little boy when there are apparently deer everywhere? Listen, it's the Dark Ages, man. Shit doesn't make any sense. England doesn't have a king and everything is in disarray, including the natural order. What we saw of England didn't look that terrible? But bro- wait. No, I'm thinking of the next movie. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it doesn't look that bad. Yeah, there's not there's not a lot there's not a lot that we saw that says oh what they need is a king except for the fact that everybody fucking wants a king for some reason. Yeah, they they're, they're really throwing themselves at each other to find one, literally, yeah. um, and figuratively. But Arthur goes through a series of uh, almost falling into the mouth of wolf. What would the wolf do at that point? I think it would be crushed by Arthur. 
Yeah, I think the abundance of human would just kill, like, snap this wolf's neck and and give him peace. Arthur uh, falls into Merlin's abode and they have a good talk. Yeah, we get some, like, sorcerers apprenticing from the sugar bowl. Yeah. We get a great packing and, scene. Oh, that packing scene is very well done and very yeah. funny. I love. I love. I. I think the music in this is completely forgettable, but the visuals of the packing scene was great. Yeah, I, I especially love just like like the fact that the sugar bowl has an attitude. <laughs> um, the Archimedes has to get out of his birdhouse because it's growing small and he isn't. Now, see, I think that's a big character flaw of Merlin too. This appears to be his only friend, and he almost killed him. <laughs> I don't think he almost killed him. I'm sure Archimedes would have been fine because magic. Know, he wasn't shrinking. Anyway. But magic. Basically, Merlin tells Arthur that he's going to educate him. He packs up all his stuff so he can follow Arthur back to his home in the castle. We get some more wolf shit. I'm already done with this wolf at this point. He comes back at one point. In a, it, he comes back at, at a scene. And uh, I was very surprised to see him. I was like, oh, I thought he died, but... I wasn't I surprised to see him. I was kind of surprised by how that scene turned out. That scene went it. on... That scene went on very long. So, Merlin's in a bit of a pickle, because Arthur wants to be... He wants to be a squire. Like, that. he, he mentions multiple times that, as an orphan, he would be so lucky right. to be Kay's squire. And Merlin tells him, like, listen, you're you got the makings of a smart kid. Like, if you if you just get if you get yourself an Although, education, does he? Yeah, I think he does. I think so. I okay. We'll get to it again. We'll get to it later. One of my notes asks why he never solves his own problems if he's so goddamn smart. Because he's a kid. But like he d he never takes the initiative to start to solve one of his problems. All right, so I, we we will definitely talk about this. We, I. I Arthur's I do think that that's a point. Foster father. Um, yeah. What'd you say his name was? Hector. Hector. Like Hector, but without the H. And here's the thing about Hector. 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 He seems like a nice enough dude. Like, he's not that he is super worried about Arthur. And Kay is an asshole, and he's not. But then when he comes home, he makes him do the dishes for running out into the woods like an idiot, which I get. That makes sense. And Merlin gets all up in his face and basically bullies him with magic into letting him stay. This is a regular dude who's terrified of this wizard. Well, but also at the same time, you gotta see where Merlin's coming from, which is the future. I see and where like, Merlin's coming from, but I don't think the way he solved this problem was any better than the way Ector solves problems. They just do it with different tools, but they both basically go at each other like blunt objects. I, I do think that this is a case of speaking to somebody in a language they understand. Hmm. Maybe. All Merlin wants is to get a couple of hours a day with Arthur. Well, what he really wants is to get eight hours a day with Arthur. Right. Six for learning and two for studying. So, after Merlin kind of is thrown away into this rickety tower... <laughs> The news comes from London that on New Year's Day there will be a jousting tournament in London and that will finally decide who will become king. And hey, that's fucking stupid. 
I don't know if a Joust has ever decided something so big before, but if it has, that's fucking stupid. They're talking about how there would be a huge war if anybody tried to become king. And now they're just gonna joust over it? That's insane. Maybe maybe it's more of a flight of fancy, but they're 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 gonna they're gonna give it a shot. Yeah. Right. Like and, and I mean for the debt for the era and the kind of setting that we're given, the idea that this tournament of strength will be what finally decides who England's new king's gonna be kinda sorta makes sense. It makes sense in the movie. I don't think it makes sense when you just think about England as a place, which I believe the Aetherian legends are often trying to get you to do. Like, I don't Aetherian legends know are about very that. English based, but that's not the point. It, it's not a big deal. I just thought, oh, a joust to the side of somebody's king. Well, it gives them like a time limit on when the sword gets pulled. But other than that, it's stupid. And Hector, Hector kind of comes on, uh, kind of comes across, and he thinks, you know what? I have a big dumb son. If I put him through some training, maybe he can win this tournament. And he decides to appoint Arthur as Kay's official squire for this training. Why does he go get turned into a fish again? I think just because Merlin wants him to. Oh, does that just happen? I don't happen? think there's a lead-up to the fish part. I think he just does Oh, Oh, okay, okay. So him and Arthur are just hanging out? Yeah, he asks him if he's ever thought about being a fish. And Arthur talks about how, yeah, he thinks about being a fish all the time. Merlin tells him it's good to have an imagination, then he turns him into a fish. Yeah, and the idea is being a fish puts Arthur in this situation of, like, learning to be aware of his body and physics. He also, okay, well, he compares a fish to a helicopter in what I felt like was a completely botched metaphor. And maybe one of the worst metaphors I've ever heard from a movie. Just tell me how a fish is like a helicopter and why that would be better than comparing it to anything else. Basically, he talks about how it's not touching the ground or in the air like a helicopter, but a helicopter is in the air. Merlin. Uh, he says ceiling. Ceiling. He does say. C- that doesn't make. And that makes less sense. There's no ceiling to the earth, Merlin. Yes, there is. It's called space, Tony. And like a fish who goes into the surface, if the helicopter goes into space, it dies. That's <laughs> not how that works, Merlin. <laughs> That's exactly. Listen, I've done physics. That's exactly how it works. And don't at me, people who know about <laughs> physics, to tell me that that's not how that works. Because I very well know that if you put a helicopter in space, it doesn't go so well for the how, people in it. How did the hel- you know? It doesn't I was gonna say how the helicopter get to space? And you know what? I don't care. I will say though, like from a modern from a modern standpoint, if you're trying to describe to a child how a fish can move in three dimensions. A helicopter is a pretty good, like, reference, because kids know what helicopters are and but how helicopters are supposed to move. In the water, I feel like you don't need the helicopter reference. You know how to no, move I know that. No, I know that me and you don't need it, but because we're adults in the modern world and we know how moving in three dimensions works, Tony, but okay. he's trying to teach a child who's never really had to think before, not in this way. Yes, or heard of a helicopter, so that falls apart. No, again, I, I, again, I think you and Merlin in the movie agree that a helicopter was a poor choice. Anyway, the fish song about bettering yourself and the world is a pretty nice song. It's cute. I'm into it. I think if anything, I'm, I'm really into the lessons that this movie is trying to teach. I think how it teaches them is wrong. How Merlin teaches them is wrong. The movie can teach the lessons, however, it's a cartoon. Here's here, here's where I came to a conclusion about Archimedes as a character. Arthur gets attacked by a... What is this Ike. creature? It's an Ike. 
It's a pike. pike. It's Ike. You know Ike. He hates fish. I like Ike. Anyway. (laughs) Arthur gets attacked by a pike. Merlin, because he's insane, says, oh, you gotta be smarter than that pike. You just gotta outsmart it. And Arthur does pretty well. Mm -hmm. And Merlin's like, alright, I'll finish it off. And then doesn't because he's bumbling. So now Arthur is pretty close to being eaten. He's at death's door. Archimedes comes to like grab him out of the pike's mouth, basically. And Mm. it made me think that Archimedes has been against this venture, not because he doesn't think that Merlin should be teaching this kid, but because he doesn't like seeing children killed by Merlin's gross negligence. Because this must have happened before, and other fish got eaten. Now I see what you're getting at. Mm-hmm. But I'm think- I think from a story perspective, this is a case of kind of misframing. I think what they wanted to do was have two relationships happening. Have Arthur's infatuation with Merlin eventually grow to become more of a reverence. Mm. Like, I'm respectful of this guy and what he's trying to do. But he's so he's so lost in his own clouds that it's really hard to get him to teach me anything. Meanwhile, you have this other relationship. You have uh, this bird who is very intelligent. Um, I think he might be the only actually intelligent owl in all of Disney canon. Well, Big Mama's not stupid. I don't know that she's learned, but she's intelligent. You make a good point. Sorry, give me a sec. I need to go and start writing my Big Mama Archimedes fanfiction. It exists. Trust me. Did you find some? No, I didn't, but I could look and it'll be there. <laughs> Just the way you said it, the defeat in your tone. I was no, like, this is Whoa. from Hazel. This is, what, uh... What dark world? Is that is the, that her name? The world of Arthur and Hazel is the world. Hazel, really? That's what the, the color of the fur is what they went with? I guess so, yeah. Well, Merlin talks about how she's a redhead. Look, we'll get there. <laughs> we got a little bit off track, maybe. Yeah, I, I think I think the, the, the relationship they wanted to have between Archimedes and Arthur was one of, like, like you have this very, like, kind of uh, holier-than-thou smart bird who doesn't believe in this kid, who doesn't think that this kid has whatever it is that Merlin sees in him, but over time warms up to him just because, you know, it's... The, the kid's got gumption, if he has anything. I think a large part of why this fails is because mm-hmm. of Arthur's poor line delivery. His lines are so inconsistently delivered throughout the whole movie. He just sounds... Because three different people. Yeah, because there's three different child voice actors. But he sounds constantly confused by everything going on around him. Mm. And I feel like there should have been a point in the movie where maybe his lines didn't change, but he was definitely... Like, like there's a scene... Uh, really soon where he like takes a stand against Ector and that's the point moving forward where his tone should have gone from being confused to being inquisitive but it never happens because Mm. like the the two kid actors that they got to replace this other kid just couldn't put that across or possibly um the director didn't know how to work with kids well it was the director's own kids that he got to replace maybe especially then yeah, he probably just wasn't willing to push his own kids. I see a lot of potential in this movie that I feel wasn't reached when it comes to these three characters' relationships. The thing that kind of pushes me to think that Archimedes might just kind of be against Merlin because what Merlin does is dangerous is that after this 
Pike scene. The next scene, Merlin goes to Arthur and he's like, man, you know, it's pretty dangerous to be a squirrel. Pretty <laughs> exciting and dangerous to be a squirrel. <laughs> It's uh-huh. like, man, all the dangers squirrels face all the time. It's so dangerous, which is weird for two reasons. One, that means he knows he's endangering the life of this child. And two, the lesson he teaches him about squirrels apparently is just a lesson about love and possibly sex and puberty. Not a lesson I mean, about the, danger. The lesson, the lesson I got out of it is that uh-oh. Love is the strongest force, stronger even than gravity. Here's the thing. A line I from this that. movie. I've only heard that line from you referencing Interstellar, I think. And now yep. I wonder if Interstellar... Is it Interstellar? Yeah, it's Interstellar. Now I'm wondering if Interstellar took it from Sword in the Stone. <laughs> uh, no, I don't think so, because Interstellar is a science fiction epic, and Sword in the Stone is the exact opposite of that. I don't know, it's a, it's, it's kind, kind of epic. It's, no, it's definitely an epic, or it, it has the makings of an epic. It's, it's, it's the beginning of a story. The whole Sword of the Stone is, hey, here's the first part of this story that you like. Yeah, and it's, it's a really good first part of that story. It sets up these three eccentric characters and where they stand kind of in relation to one another. Yeah, but we never hear from them again, so it becomes uninteresting to me. And that, yeah, and that's kind of, I think, where I'm left heartbroken. So Arthur gets sent to the kitchen. He gets two demerits because he tries to talk about being a fish to Hector and uh, Kay, and they're both like, you're crazy. Right, despite the fact that Hector knows there's a wizard in the house. I don't yeah, really right. understand that. I kind of get from a sort of like a Vernon Dursley perspective. Let's keep the kid busy so he doesn't do any magic. Which this guy, this guy really does come off as a Vernon Dursley. In he kind of does. And a demeanor. But I don't understand him not believing it. After Merlin kind of goads Arthur, Arthur mentions like, hey, listen, someone's got to do these dishes. I would love to go be in danger as a squirrel, but, you know responsibilities come first and Merlin's like hmm no one really cares about the work as long as it gets done right which is true and he enchants the dishes to wash themselves um in another pretty good very well animated scene there's a lot of good character animation in this movie which again like this is like Milt Call worked on this so of course there's a lot of good like, like him and five of the other nine and five and four other old men worked on this movie like there's some good effects animation in it too from like the the magic sparkles and how the dishes move and interact with each other. Mm-hmm. It's really pretty. It's very beautiful. Merlin turns Arthur into a squirrel. Are you, you going to let that sentence hang? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to let that sentence sit for a good long time because you know what I did not expect from this movie? When you told me about like this weird squirrel AU, I was like, man, that's crazy. And then I started watching this movie, and when Merlin said, would you like to turn into a squirrel, my first thought was, no. There's no way that we're going to have an extended five-minute scene about how horny squirrels are. She horny for it, though. She She's... Not just her, though, right? Like... No, all squirrels, basically. Yeah. Here's the thing. Squirrels don't mate for life. I knew this was true and looked it up just in case. Merlin straight up lies to Arthur... To get him in what 
is possibly the most uncomfortable position you can put another human being in. Shenanigans happen. Mm-hmm. So, this is this... Okay, well, you know what? I... Okay. <laughs> Here's the... Tell thing. me about your squirrel A, you Tony. Um... Tell me about Hazel. We should get through... I, I think we should get through the scene, and then I'll go into Hazel. And All right, then let's get through the scene. She's not so, so mine. Shena- well, here's the thing about this so, squirrel, though. So, so, no, no, so shenanigans happen. The squirrel's super into Arthur. Arthur is not reciprocating. He decides to run away. Another squirrel gets super into Merlin. Merlin uh, pushes Arthur to his demise, who almost gets eaten by a wolf. And then Same uh, the younger squirrel saves Arthur. And Arthur's like, this is still super weird. And Merlin's like, I'm done with all of this horned up squirrel nonsense. And he turns himself and Arthur back into people. And uh, this uh, red squirrel is heartbroken at the fact that the person she fell in love with is a human being. And she cries herself to death, I assume, in the rain. And Merlin and Arthur leave. So Now tell me not... about your squirrel AU, Tony. A couple of things about this squirrel before we get into this is squirrel AU, which does exist. There's a lot of it. I'm not going to get too deep because you can look it up yourselves. There's a moment where Arthur's being attacked by a wolf and the squirrel says the words, oh no. Yep. And she bites the wolf. Like, she attacks the wolf to save Arthur. It's a very uh, fox and the hound moment. Yeah. And it makes me think, you know what? There's no wonder there's a whole branch of fan fiction that spread from this squirrel and love nonsense. Especially because the final line in the scene is that love is stronger than gravity thing. <laughs> like, that's where they close it. Yeah, that's the end like, of the well, scene. Like, well, this squirrel super loved you, and you know what? Love is more powerful than anything. Say goodbye to her forever. I love this idea that squirrels are magically monogamous, like elves in Tolkien fiction. So I'm not going to get too into Hazel, a fanfiction character made in 2008. <laughs> Except to say that someone decided it would be better if Merlin made the girl squirrel into a girl. <laughs> so there are two kinds of fanfiction that Hazel stars in. One is like slightly erotic fanfiction, but like the kind of fanfiction you write about teenagers, you know. And the other kind is the other kind of fanfiction you write about teenagers, which is them being in love and fighting stuff. Is the two genre of teenagers. And that we all know, obviously. The upshot of this is that Arthurian legend at its core would change with this added character. Because if Arthur is spoken for... So, okay, well, what do you know about Morgan Le Fay? I know that after Arthur decided to get married to Guinevere, Morgan Le Fay, like, tempted him into fucking her and having a new kid. Good. No way that would happen, because Arthur has been monogamous since 13. Also, the kid, Mordred, although sometimes it's not Mordred, but I'm going to say it's Mordred because it helps me make my point, kills Arthur. Mm -hmm. So that's also not going to happen. Now, in La Morte Arthur, his death is facilitated by Guinevere running away with Lancelot, so Lancelot is no longer there to protect him when the big fight happens. Well, when the big fight happens... Mm -hmm. Arthur gives his scabbard, Excalibur. His sword is Caliburn, and no, one of them is Caliburn, and the other one is Excalibur. So Caliburn is the sword, and Excalibur, well, the idea of what Excalibur does is actually the magical scabbard, 
that Arthur like, has on him at all times. It great. It basically take a grants him moons or something. Yeah, it grants him immortality for the most part. Right. And so, so he gives this scabbard to uh, his second in command, whose name escapes me at the moment, and it's the guy who was with him when he died. Because that guy was supposed to go get Guinevere, and the scabbard was going to be how he proved to her that he was sent there by Arthur. And he goes and has like a good tea time with Lancelot and Guinevere. Cut to Arthur and his knights having this big massive battle with Mordred and Morgan. Cut to right. Merlin being trapped inside of a tree. But that's my Arth- point. Arthurian that's legend is weird. Arthurian legend is weird. Now, if Arthur had gotten with a squirrel instead of the manic pixie dream girl that is Guinevere, then the whole story of La Morte Arthur would not happen. I don't know about that. I mean, you wouldn't have you wouldn't have Mordred and you wouldn't have Lancelot. I don't know. Morgan Le Fay has cunning wiles. Like, she would have figured out a way. Okay, but then in, in the original Morta Arthur, it really goes on about how Merlin wasn't there to help him and Lancelot wasn't there to help him, so he died. And it's something like, if one of them was there, he would have lived. Now, it's possible that he still would have boned down with Morgan Le Fay. It's possible Arthur's just a dick. I don't know that much about him. But the point is, if Arthur's reign was a golden age, and his death is the reemergence of the Dark Ages, which is how it's portrayed in media, even though the Dark Ages were just the Dark Ages for a while, and we all have to deal with it. And also that the only part of anything that was remotely dark was that part of England, and the rest of the world was pretty much having a great time. (laughs) And just kind of looking over at England and going, ugh. Mm. Uh. Let's just stay away from there. The existence of Hazel would have made the world a better place, or at least made England a better place. All Arthur had to do was get with the squirrel, but no, he had to turn back to human. And she had to die crying in the rain alone forever. Presumably, yeah. I feel like I got a slightly sidetracked. Slightly, really? How, mm, Slightly. Arthur is no longer Kay's squire because he has run off with Merlin and left the chores to do themselves. And everybody in the castle freaks out about it and starts attacking dishes. Very poorly, I might add. Like, cast iron dishes are pretty fucking strong, but for your sword to shatter upon hitting one means, like, you you should be making war with those dishes, not food. They, th- these, these guys get got pretty, pretty easily by these dishes. I don't understand the thought line of Ector being like, oh, there's evil magic in the kitchen. I should go there and fight the dishes, which are definitely causing the magic. I, I, I it really is a case of punching the computer screen to turn off the computer. I, I think my favorite thing about this scene, this whole like, scenario is that Hector and Kay are defeated not because the dishes attack them but by sheer the dishes are doing their own thing and they're so bad at fighting that the dishes continuing to do what they do causes them to lose I think the mop does attack Kay. The the mops like hit him and then use him to just continue washing the floor. Right that seems that seemed pretty planned. Hector just gets beaten down by a regular pan scrubbing of the dishes. Yeah, so. and, 
it's a very humiliating situation for both of them. <laughs> and uh, uh, Ector lashes out at Merlin, who promptly disappears, and tells Arthur that he is no longer going to be a squire. Instead, some other guy, Hobbs, is going to be case squire. We never see him. Which is fine. He's not important. Honestly, He's yeah. He's not king of England. Exactly. So Merlin thinks, well, you know what? Now we can educate you full time. And at this point, Archimedes comes in and goes, now, ho, 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 hold up, Merlin, not, not to like, not to take any credit away from you, but you suck at teaching. And you know what? He's right. The only things he's taught him is how to almost get eaten by stuff. I, yeah, I, I will say this about, is that, is that unlike Merlin, Archimedes is able to reframe because his first, his first, th- his first thought is, all right, Arthur, I want you to read this mountain of books. Right. I'm sorry. You can't read? And then he starts teaching him how to read, which is great. That's what you want to be doing. And then Merlin's like, yeah, but you know what else is cool? How to what fly. What if you can fly, though? And, and it's like, Merlin, <laughs> yeah, Merlin. trying to do the thing. It, it, it very much is a case of, like, your teacher that you actually learn things from and your cool teacher your that cool takes you teacher. out on field trips and almost gets you killed. It's like, um, gosh, I'm trying to remember a fictional teacher to compare to Miss Frizzle. Oh, that guy from, that guy from, uh, 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 Boy Meets World. Oh, yeah, it's like Mr. Feeney versus Miss Frizzle. And, like, I know like Mr. we all love, Feeney's we name. all love Mr. Feeney, but uh, goddamn if I'm not gonna get on that magic school bus, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe, I, well, you know what, God, after the first time, I would be the kid who was complaining the whole time about not wanting to be in space today. Can we just have a normal lesson? I I would definitely be Carlos and Tony knows why. When do they learn English? Like, when do they get a math lesson? <laughs> <laughs> I maybe maybe it's like they're only with Miss Frizzle like once a week. Yeah, maybe it's that. Anyway, Arthur, while turning into a sparrow and Archimedes teaching him how to fly gets attacked by a hawk and shenanigans abound he ends up falling into the house of a madam mim who's a very memorable character she is he also tells madam mim to her face that merlin's magic is quote useful the fucking liar no i merlin merlin has shown arthur practical ways in which he uses his magic like getting the dishes to wash themselves all and he has packing, ever done with magic. And packing his suitcase. He told Arthur suitcase. that magic couldn't solve all of his problems. Which and then true. tries to use magic to solve all of his problems. Not to solve all of his problems, but to teach him different skills that he could use to solve his problems. Well, no. He tries to solve his problems with, like, the cleaning the dishes and the packing. But that's and not a problem that he needs tries to solve. To, quote, teach him stuff. But it's Archimedes that actually teaches him stuff while Merlin almost gets him killed. Listen, we can argue all day over who's teaching who and who's accent and who's purposefully tricking what other character to teach who because the other character is like super insecure about actually having a human connection with somebody until near the end of this film. We could argue these points all day, Tony, but the fact is that at the end of the day, Merlin doesn't use his magic to like harm people. Right. He does he does use it to bully people. I want to be clear on this. He does do that, but you're right. Also, at no point in the film does Merlin go, well, you know what, Arthur, if you don't want to learn, if you don't want to be educated, I'm going to have to kill you. <laughs> he kind of does the no, opposite, he, actually. He, 
He does. He does say if you if you're trying to be educated, I'll turn you into a bird. I don't know. That seems like a fair trade. Birds are really smart. Archimedes is one of the smartest birds I know. All right, good talk. Anyway, <laughs> Archimedes goes to get Merlin because Madame Mim is a magical problem. This is not an owl solve this problem. This is a Merlin come in to fix this one. One of my favorite things about Madame Mim is like Merlin is this like spindly, very like like a lot of angles old man. Yeah, and she's like big. And she's yeah, and she and she's like this very kind of uh, I guess the word I would use is voluptuous, like round mm-hmm. woman. She does this creepy thing where she becomes a quote beautiful woman. Oh yeah. I th- I guess it's just a Disney thing. Like they didn't do a lot to try to make her actually look beautiful because you're never supposed to make the villain look good. I feel like you c- Disney can do a beautiful girl, but when when your character says, I can turn into a woman that can seduce you, you really don't want to go into Jessica Rabbit territory. It was weird. But, um, they have this, uh, they have a duel. Oh yeah, they have a wizard's duel, which is the best wizard's duel I've ever seen in a movie. It's a pretty good wizard's duel. There's a lot of good back and forth, and there's good imagery in the <clears throat> animals that they choose. They don't just each choose a bigger animal. Merlin often chooses a small animal, animal to just dodge what Madame Mim is doing. And that's interesting, too. Yeah. Like, when he uh, w- he turned into, like, a crab to fight a snake, and I was like, honey badger, honey badger, honey badger. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm born in a time with the internet, and I know yeah. how they do. Mongoose, come on. Yeah, exactly. They are guaranteed to kill the venomous snake 66% of the time. Which, I mean, to be fair, isn't great, but is better than half. Yeah, it's pretty good still. Yeah, right? Well, they have that loose skin that, like, the poison doesn't get in right. Yeah, that's... that's what you want. It's like living in a... It's like living in... I'm not going to continue down this line of metaphorical thinking. Good talk. It's a really good wizard's duel, though, and I really liked it. It's a much more, I think, practical way of getting Arthur to see that sometimes what you want is to outsmart your opponent not outdig them because it ends in madame cheating and turning into a dragon and merlin still technically following the rules turning into a germ as far as i could tell multiplying very quickly and giving her um i forget what he calls it but some kind of minor plague maligna litalopteriosis or something like that. I, I wrote it down, but I don't think I wrote it down. Fin- I, I, I tried to write it down phonetically. I did not succeed. But it basically, he gives her chicken pox. Yes, and she is uh, she's stuck in bed and he makes her, he puts her in the sunlight because it'll be good for her. Apparently what happens when she sees the sunlight is a reference to movie critics who dislike Disney movies because they're too cheerful. Because <laughs> she's like, I hate this wholesome sunlight. Uh and- that was like a that was like a, a good old fashioned fuck you. I think I could definitely relate. Like there is something movie crit there's something about movie critics when they go to see a kid's movie. Like it's like it's like they're devoid and to be fair, I totally understand. Like here is a person who has spent their entire life like studying theory and film and having to go watch a kid's movie and then write about it. Like nobody wants to be the guy who has to write the review for Pokemon the first movie. But also I think like there is something to be said about the fact that of anyone else, Disney's kids' movies have been filled with a nuance and a beauty that a critic should be able to appreciate. And the fact that even back in the nineteen like 
40s and 60s like disney still had to deal with the kids movies uh crowd i don't know it fills me with the uh yeah like basically the reason the transformers movies are like dark and gritty because bad people don't like going to say i don't want this show for my childhood to be a kids movie i oh my god speaking of i'm sorry you got me on this tangent you got me thinking about it i like i like clicked at what like at the bottom of the the sword in the stone wikipedia is like like related articles list of arthurian films or films Uh based on arthurian legend do you want to know what the most recent one uh, movie based on arthurian legend is i remember wasn't there a movie that came out called arthur or something there was and that's the second to last Uh oh king arthur legend of the sword which was bad but the actual last one is transformers the last night 2017 oh boy oh boy god God, i didn't here's the funny thing i didn't know that movie existed my guy me neither we all remember the dinosaur one right i the dinosaur i thought the dinosaur one was the last one anthony hopkins was in this movie what the fuck well, I must have been phenomenally bad if, uh... Because <laughs> I haven't heard of Transformers the last night. I just read the... Sorry, let me read to you the opening paragraph. Sorry, okay. we're on this hole. In 484 AD, King Arthur and his knights struggle in a devastating battle against the Saxons. Oh. Already we are rife with historical inaccuracy. Yeah, that's not how that worked. But okay, let's keep going. Meanwhile, Merlin begs for help from the knights of... Iacon, a group of 12 Transformers who have hidden on Earth. They give Merlin an alien staff and combine themselves into a huge robotic dragon named Dragonstorm to help Arthur triumph over the Saxons, but not before warning Merlin that a great evil will one day come for the staff. Fuck, man. Wait a second, does this entire movie take place in Arthurian times? No, it does not. In God the present damn it! is the next I know, in the present is the, ne- is the is the very next paragraph, but holy shit, that would have been a better movie. That would have been a way better just fucking like Dragonheart but with Transformers, like this is bullshit. Just fucking That'd be I, amazing. Right? Just give me like Highlander, give me Highlander, but throw Transformers in there for no reason. I mean oh, Highlander man. was already pretty bad without adding Transformers. Arthur becomes a squire again. Yeah, Christmas time comes around and Hobbes got sick from the mumps, I think somebody says. Now, here's the thing. Arthur just saw Merlin defeat this this force that was seemingly stronger than him by giving them this near-fatal disease. Cut to Christmas time and all of a sudden, under mysterious circumstances, this other squire suddenly oh has the mumps. I think... I I think I, I see some meddling, some real-world applications of learning in this film. But Merlin is not happy about this. He's very not happy about it. He's not happy that Arthur almost killed a kid. <laughs> well, actually, what he's not happy about is... Um... Here's the thing. I find your Arthur uses germ warfare fanfiction worse than the oh. squirrel turns into a girl fanfiction. Really? <laughs> you Is it worse? Or better. I think it's better. <laughs> I think it's better because there's no squirrel-like horniness involved. So Merlin is angry at Arthur because he feels that by this point, Arthur should have been able to dedicate himself to 
just the education that Merlin is providing him. And Merlin keeps telling Arthur, like, you, you are destined to reach greater things and you keep getting stuck on this idea of being just just a squire and arthur kind of doesn't like again like doesn't fight back so much as he just restates the fact that he should be so lucky to be case squire he's nobody here's, here's the thing about merlin he is on a certain level correct but on another level i think he can't quite grasp what medieval life is like anymore Mm -hmm. I think he doesn't really appreciate where Arthur is coming from this is how he's going to be able to keep eating food yeah so in this argument Merlin accidentally uh, turns himself into a rocket and fires himself at Bermuda yeah he does do that and that was weird apparently it later happens Bermuda in the 20th century like, he goes and keeps going, I guess. And Archimedes, you know, doesn't go with Merlin. Uh, I've mostly out of a, well, fuck, Merlin just turned himself into a rocket and team rocketed, well. Yeah, well, yeah, he did. No, he yeah. kept going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, he team rocketed himself into the distance, like twinkle and all. So, yes. So Archimedes, Archimedes does not want to meowth, that's right, this. Yeah, he he, he he sticks with Arthur, you know, someone's got to keep an eye on the kid. Yo, hey, we referenced Pokemon already in this. Uh, did we? Oh, yeah, we did. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's weird. All right, keep going. Well, you know, we're in that headspace, right? So we're in it now. So. So we go we go forward to the tournament. Uh, we, we see these two very knightly knights joust. And after they both fall off their horses, they do get out with their swords. And upon seeing this, Arthur's like, "Ah, oh, fuck. Ah, oh, oh. damn. Okay, better. Ah, oh, jeez. Ah. <laughs> oh. I really... Ooh, I really did it this time. I forgot Kay's sword. So here's the thing. Arthur genuinely appears to be a bad squire, which is a little bit of a surprise to me. And that's where they went with this. But yes, he forgot Kay's sword, and so he... he Kate tells him to go get it, but oops, the uh, inn is closed because everybody's at the joust. Yeah, at the tournament. So he go- <laughs> this is, I think, my favorite scene in the whole goddamn movie is he just goes to this sword inside of a church. Or Archimedes points it out like, hey, there's a sword over there. And then Arthur touches it and this heavenly light hits him and this angelic choir starts singing and he lets go out of yeah, he's surprise. Like, Maybe we should leave this alone. Yeah, and Archimedes like, well, I, is like, I, you know what? Let's not get this sword. Yes. Arch- like Archimedes keeps telling him, "Maybe you should leave that sword alone actually cuz I've just realized what it is and stop. Do not go further." But Arthur's adamant like he needs to get Kay the sword. So he just he grabs it and then kind of to get away from this angelic choir and heavenly light as fast as possible, he Pulls it out and dashes away. I assume thinking, maybe we can put it back afterwards and no one will notice. Right. That was my thought. So he brings a sword to Kay and, um, Hector sees it and is like, Whoa, 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 wait. This is the sword. This says the whole, uh, the future king, be king of England, born of England, shit. But basically, a cry goes up and every able-bodied man at the joust goes to goes to check out where the sword had been so they put the sword back in the anvil and tell arthur go on pull it out and he walks up and just before he can grab it Kay pushes him aside and is like it already came out i bet i could just yank it out too and him and three other dudes 
try their darndest to no avail. And I think somebody even says, now four people are trying. That's not fair. Right, because who would be king at that point? Then there would still be a war over it. So this massive, deeply voiced mustache man, like, he sounds like... I know he's one of the dogs from 101 Dalmatians. Oh my gosh. He might be the colonel? Oh no, the Great Dane. Okay, so he was in 101 Dalmatians. He wasn't the Great Dane. He wasn't a dog. Oh, what? He was Captain, the horse. Oh, yeah, okay. So Arthur pulls a sword from the stone. Everybody starts kneeling. There's a holy light around him. I do really love the fact that the holy light only happens when he touches it. And the <laughs> that great bit where he just grabs it, lets go, grabs it, lets go, grabs it is great. And then smash cut. He's king of England now. And the smartest thing I believe that Arthur ever does in this movie is try to ditch a job that a fancy knife gave him. Yeah. He's talking to Archimedes. He's like, I can't be king of Lingand. And Archimedes is like, yeah, you fucking can't. We gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> and and they try to go out one door, but there's a bunch of people outside cheering Arthur, long live the king. So they go try another door. And the cheering is so loud and voluminous that it keeps blowing Archimedes back into the castle <laughs> when he tries to fly out. So they're trapped, surrounded on all sides. Luckily, Arthur has a big sword. There's only one way out of this. Arthur wishes Merlin was was back. He, he calls for help, and Merlin magically returns from Bermuda. In a Hawaiian shirt and shorts. Like, like he was really having a good time, I think. Yeah. But also says that they can keep it, so I don't think he was having a great time. I think he's just kind of a crotchety old man who hates being everywhere. Merlin, like, after Arthur explains to Merlin the deal of what's happening, Merlin's response is, Oh, king arthur which makes me think that the only thing he knew about this kid is that he was destined for greatness and just now put it together right he didn't get that i guess he'd been calling him wart wart yeah the whole arthur. he's probably like oh arthur right see i'm merlin so that would make that would actually Me. make a lot of sense sense oh and and he tells arthur don't worry everything's gonna be all right you're going to be the best king of England. We'll make sure of it. It does this weird thing where the movie ends on a self-referential joke. Yeah. About how maybe they'll make a movie about you someday. Wink, wink. End of movie. I don't know about you, but this movie really does feel like a first part of three to me. My issue with this movie has always been that it ends when all the exciting stuff should start to happen. And you said it was based off of a... Of a four-part series yeah which means it ended at the end of the first book which a lot of movies do but shouldn't yeah it's it's it this movie very much feels like of all of the disney movies that were ripe for sequels somebody should have jumped on this one i mean it wasn't a failure it it it, it was a big success i don't understand why they didn't keep making it it's really weird. Well, Disney wasn't doing sequels for a while, but it's really weird there was no direct-to-video sequel of a, The Sword and the Stone because you could just make any Altharian story be like, yeah, let's do that one. Why don't we just do, do that one? And here's the owl and the wizard and the kid, and they can just do that story. And that's the other thing is, like, like they introduce you to these three very eccentric but memorable character designs 
Like Arthur's very th- like knobbly need and meek, and Merlin's very angled and has this particular oldness about him. You, I can easily see a sequel picking off where this one leaves off. I, I would like to see how they would make this, this very confessed kid, into the great King Arthur. Like that's part of the draw, I think. And maybe there never was a plan to make a sequel to this. Maybe there was, but I think it's a shame that. Um, we can only see what this movie is and not anything more. A solid Disney classic. Yeah, it wouldn't be the first... Here's the thing. It wouldn't be the first Disney movie I'd recommend you watch. And it probably wouldn't be, like, the seventh, even. Yeah, no. This is a movie that's low on my list of good Disney movies, but it's still a good Disney movie. Yeah, it's, it's it's not one of the bad ones, right? Like, it's not fucking terrible it's just it's definitely not as memorable as other disney movies in this era Mm. and and nowhere near as memorable as disney's best movie i I, movie companies would kill to have a middle of the road movie as good as this one so I, i i think it does speak to disney's craftsmanship that even this like a fairly average movie is still pretty fucking great well here's the thing about it Actually, a bit like 101 Dalmatians, although I think 101 Dalmatians did have, um, since 101 Dalmatians had a beginning and end, it was automatically a better story, but also it had, I felt like, more memorable characters, but, like, Sword in the Stone had very memorable characters and did not rely a lot on the story, and also you could definitely watch it for the animation, Yeah, which is something I've only just started really looking at after 101 Dalmatians, and when you compare it to the next movie we watched, because Andy's a sadomasochist... Oh, God. Yeah, immediately, uh, from frame one, you're uh, just like, you miss it. You miss... The animation is such garbage. It... And what, which I'll, I really will get to. Like, I'm gonna go... I'm gonna take a deep dive into why this, an, this movie's animation doesn't work because this this movie that we're about to watch its animation is worse than 101 dalmatians 2 patches london adventure like okay 101 dalmatians 2 patches london adventure had okay animation fine then this one was worse than the lion king 2 simba's pride this was worse than any direct to dvd or vhs disney sequel that we have watched this movie's animation is worse by a long shot playing the world oh wait what about balto too and nope even even okay wait that's a tough that's a tough call no actually even balto too i think it's even worse than balto too one really bad scene that was like weirdly poorly animated but i feel like most of it was pretty clean yeah this balto too had a lot of like good animation in it and i feel like most of balto most of Bolto2's weirdness was just the wolf quest. Mine but, had a lot of... I mean, I wonder I wonder if this is true for your version of Quest of, for Camelot, or if I got, like, a weirdly bad one. Mm-hmm. I felt like the voices did not actually match up. To the talking, the to the mouthing. Singing. Yeah, no. Yeah, okay. I completely like agree. watching a dubbed anime where they're like, no, we're not going to worry too much about whether the lips match up. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I get exactly what you mean. No, yeah, that, that definitely it felt was. I like I was endless. watching a movie where all of the audio was put in, and this is true for all Disney, for all animated movies. 
obviously. Like <laughs> watching a live action movie where all the audio is put in afterwards. You're like, it's... no, that's not that person saying that thing. Yeah, it, it's it's very jarring from the be- from the the moment the movie starts. You're just like, oh, oh no, oh no, 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 and then you see people moving, and you're just like horrified. It's so bad by these these inhuman, weirdly lipped flesh monsters that <laughs> that you have to believe are people, or you'll go insane. There was so much... Here's the thing about this movie. There was so much potentially interesting stuff in it that nothing happened with, and it was just bad. It got me really annoyed because, like, a story about Camelot that is about a girl when everybody important in Camelot is male Mm -hmm. and a blind guy when everybody important in Camelot has all their facilities could potentially be interesting. And it's just fucking not. Yeah. And... That drove me mad. And even, like, the bad guy's big plan. Now, most of of what he does is fucking stupid. And makes no sense. But fusing himself to Excalibur is, like, a pretty cool evil endgame. Yeah, no, I, I... I had forgotten. I had forgotten that that's what he did. And I was like, all right, you know what? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. And then just it's just if it happened in a movie that had any amount of charm or feeling of stakes in it that would be really cool and it just wasn't this movie is bad quest for camelot quest actually it's not the name of the movie yeah the magic sword the magic sword colon quest for camelot which colon's important because this movie is a colon it, the the mystifying part is that the magic sword makes le- makes the title make less sense. Everybody, I've only ever heard it called Quest for Camelot. Yeah, and that's all it should be called. It, honestly, it could be called less. It could be called shit. It could be called uh, incredibly unfun. But if we have to stick a yes, title it could on be this, called recycled jokes the movie. Oh my. God, okay. All right. So, I refuse... This movie was released May 15th, 1998. I refuse to believe anybody actually watched it, but apparently it did... I watched it as a kid. Not in the theater. I was going to say in the theater. Yeah, in the theater. Oh, no. Okay. Come on. I refuse to believe that anybody actually watched this in the theater, but this movie did make like 20 to $30 million at the box office, which... That is shocking. Which does not even touch the $40 million budget cost to make it. Oh, oops. I mean, that was still, that's still a lot of money for this bad, bad movie to make. So I actually want to know, because this movie, this movie was supposed to come out in 1997, but was pushed to 1988 because it was competing with two big breadwinners. Anastasia, which was Don Bluth's premier princess film, and a re-release in the theaters of The Little Mermaid. 1989. This would have been the end of re-releases, huh? Yeah. They don't do that anymore, because... No, they uh, don't. Basically, you can just buy a movie, and it only costs you 15 bucks instead of how yeah. much it used to. So, The Little Mermaid had a budget of $40 million. Really? The same as Quest for Camelot? The, the exact... Now, that movie came out in 1989, so that is a slight bit unfair. 
Right, but even but, so. But even so, Anastasia had a budget of $50 million. So, for all intents and purposes, Quest for Camelot had the money. One can only wonder where that money actually went, because it did not go into this movie's animation. Well, it didn't go into the animation. It almost definitely didn't go into lyrics writing. It barely went into the voice acting, because this movie has some big-name actors in it. Probably not into directors, huh? Or because here's the thing. I will talk these, about the at director. Least one of these actors is um because one of them is Mr. Potato Head. Yes. I know he's a good voice actor. Mm-hmm. I've seen all four Toy Story movies. Yeah. I know he can do it. And actually he's the only one I feel like who gives off anything close to a performance. Yeah. But since he has to play uh, alongside another actor who's just not hamming it up enough. It doesn't go anywhere. So, like, this movie has Carrie Elwes, who is fresh off of Robin Hood Men in Tights. This guy can be charismatic and funny. He's Garrett, the, the blind guy. He's Garrett. Gary Oldman, fucking serious Black himself as your villain. Dracula, from that ridiculous Dracula movie as your villain. And the performance we get is so laughably bad and uninspired. That's the thing. I thought he was the most boring character in this movie. Which is a guy whose master plan to defeat King Arthur is to turn himself into a cyborg should not be this uninteresting. Yeah. The most interesting character in this movie is a fucking bird. Oh, because it doesn't have any lines. And the second most, and yes, and the second most interesting (laughs) is an even bigger bird with four legs. Simply because there is a point where it pulls out a monocle and says, it all looks so different from down here. And I'm like, this character, this, this is a character. Oh my God, I have a character. Stay with me. No, don't go. Oh, he's gone. (laughs) I'll say this again, though. The the character that Carrie Elways plays, the idea behind him is a really good idea. It's fantastic. Just does nothing. I'm so mad about how it does nothing. Nothing. Even the setup for their main character, for their main female lead, goes nowhere from its initial premise. So let's fucking talk about the initial premise of this movie. So... Mm -hmm. Uh, there, a, a little girl, her dad is one of the knights of the round table, and she wants to be a knight just like her dad. Let me go into, I want to go into actually, because my first note was, this starts off already kind of tired with the whole, the line, you've heard this story a thousand times. Oh, God, yeah. like, yes, and then, and then it goes into, oh, here's a sword and a stone. Here's the sword and a stone story, you know the sword and a stone. And I understand you have to do that. I forgot that they did like a prologue. Well, no, 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 we're not. They, they, that was. uh, I thought the prologue was done by her dad. It is. It 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 is done by her dad, but the way they set it up is what I have a problem with. Yeah, where her mom's like, "Oh, come on." Yeah, you've heard a story a million times because so her dad wants is going off to be a knight. You, I didn't want to. I didn't want to run you off the rails, but I wanted to make sure that I got this. I I got it on record that this, this movie starts off boring and stupid yeah so her dad is some guy named sir lionel of the famous train company and 
Um, that's one of the jokes that I wrote down. Uh, nobody's gonna I get it. I didn't get it. Lionel used to be a. Uh, I I don't know if they ever made real trains, but they definitely made model trains, and that's all I could think about when they said Sir Lionel. Sorry about that. Okay, that's He's a, here's the thing. I barely heard anybody's name in this movie because the voice acting was so uninspired that it felt like everybody just mumbled everything. Yeah, there are a lot of lines that are just mumbled. And it's like, well, this is the best take we got, so. Her dad is a knight at the round table. She wants to be a a knight just like him. Um, He tells her the story of King Arthur. And then we get this musical number when he enters Camelot that's very, like, nationalistic i guess it is but i was just focusing on how the music was bad no so 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 the lyrics the lyrics themselves were what i focused on because i was already like oh wow this is rough so Mm -hmm. so, and i had the subtitles on like i always do and like it's just a lot of like i should have put the subtitles on for this movie yeah you should have it there's some lines but like the the music is so it's like like repeating different like like famous things that u.s presidents have said like united we stand brother to brother in truth united uh divided will fall like it's just like we uh, cut up really? abraham yes we cut up abraham lincoln's uh 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 gettysburg gettysburg address into a song that has nothing to do with the context with which we are borrowing these words but then also, like, th- throwing out words like liberty and justice, trust, strength. Yeah, they literally strength. just say, like, a bunch of buzzwords mm. over and over. It's terrible. It's so bad. It's really bad. And this and this kicks off one of the things I hated most about this movie, which is every time a fucking song ends, somebody talks about how they just sang a song together. It's with one exception, which is my favorite one. And then they do do it like three minutes later. I was like, oh, they're not going to talk about this weird song sequence. Oh, there it is. There it is. Okay. Oh, by, by the way, uh, just a quick aside. <laughs> King Arthur, Pierce Brosnan, fucking 007 James Bond himself. Nothing. Flat, boring, who gives a shit. I watched this movie when I was very little. And I remember King Arthur as being old, like ancient. Yeah, and... right? No, he's... And he's not. He's quite young. And I think I may have just sort of conflated him with Merlin in my mind. Because King Arthur spends the whole time with a broken arm, kind of unable to do anything. The way he moves, he might have a broken clavicle. Yeah, he, he he definitely broke something fierce. And man, I have, I have never seen anybody die as hard and as fast as... <laughs> as fucking sir lionel does well, let me talk about rupert's plan to murder the king oh it's he a great plans to murder the king while he's surrounded by all of his knights and the worst part is it almost works except the king has magic oh my god this guy so is uh what's his name rupert rupert or rupert is it, is it, it rubber or rupert it's Ruber. oh gosh rupert it's a bad name I remember because I looked it up because I couldn't fucking hear it. All right. So, well, it's because most people aren't saying Ruber. They're saying Ruber. Oh, oh, it's it's Ruber. 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 (laughs) Fuck this movie. So, yes. Then, like. He he fucking. So, like, the the first night to really jump on 
protecting the king as Sir Lionel. And man, he gets fucking got. He gets axed. Well, I guess he gets maced. Clubbed? And the way Ruber then interacts with Kaylee's mother makes it feel like this scene would have been a lot stronger if he were, like, sneakily trying to kill the king and Lionel discovered him. Right, because it would. He makes it be a big deal that he killed this guy, but he definitely did it by accident while trying to kill another dude. Yeah, he kind of just offhandedly murders this. And I really want to emphasize that it was kind of visceral. Like, it just happens. And you're like, oh, that guy's fucking dead. And then they yeah. zoom in on his corpse. And yeah, he's. And everyone. And like, some random mook is like. Oh god, he's dead. Right, and then Arthur says that he was like his most trusted knight, which is weird because I've never heard of him. But right, me, yeah, me neither. Oh, fuck. Like, if you're going to do this, just make him Lancelot. No one would have cared because nobody saw this movie. And that would have been... quite a few people actually saw this movie. You and I remembered this movie, so somebody saw it. Yeah, no, definitely. So, <laughs> Arthur doesn't stop him so much as he doesn't get killed by him. here's the thing this is just one dude it's the middle of camelot they can't catch this one dude who just leaves out the front door he just fucking walks out the front door man so we we smash cut to uh to uh kaylee who has to see her dead dad come home and arthur's like i welcome you both to camelot and it's like fucking that's a piss poor way to apologize to these people yeah he don't say anything like you'll be taken care of yeah or anything like this. Although, it seems like they are. Like, they're doing pretty well when she's grown up. The movie could not give less of a shit about this fucking, like, little farm abode that they live in. Yeah. So, we have this, like, stolen from the Lion King. Like, somebody animated, anim- did, an an- did, like, a storyboard for this sequence and said, what if we did the thing from the Lion King? That shit happens a lot in this movie. But, yeah, but we did it bad, <laughs> and then we did it three times. We're like, a water drop, like, little Kaylee's looking at the water, and she's like, and she goes into another bad song. And, like, a, a oh drop of- Oh my god, of- I- I- hate the music in this movie a a drop of water hits the water and she grows a little bit and then another drop of water hits the water and she grows into a full adult and it's like you guys really don't get the point of what the symbolism is in this right and she does this thing where she like does all her chores while play fighting as a knight which is only important so i can yell about a scene later okay yeah like like she uh she very much the movie keeps telling us over and over again at this beginning sequence, Kaylee really wants to be a knight. It's like, that's like the one thing she has. At this moment, she seems to be very good at it. Or at least lucky enough that pretending hasn't gotten her hurt. Uh, her Ruper, Ruper has a new plan. Oh, I'm sorry. Is there more with her and her mom? I don't want to jump ahead, but I <laughs> no. also, I also do. No, 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 you're good. So, like, her mom's like, you should stop pretending to be a knight. And she's like, fuck you, mom. I'm going to be a knight. <laughs> and then we cut right. to Ruber's newest if plan. If sounding, in, in this whole first scene, Kaylee acts like a whiny child. And it's that's not what they wanted to do. No, real quick then, I want to talk about this. So this movie, this movie is cribbing off of Disney so fucking hard. It really, mm-hmm. unlike, unlike Anastasia, unlike, unlike anything that Don Bluth did on his own, like Don Bluth wanted to do this thing that was his own. 
everybody who touched this movie had one was given one command by people in suits and it was make this movie look and feel like a disney movie and it really brings to light why certain things work in disney movies that don't work anywhere else like the main character kaylee who is supposed to come off as this like kid who doesn't quite know what she wants or who wants to be a part of this world that she is separated from mostly because of her gender and like there is a touching story there that you could do but she comes off as just complaining because they don't bring up the fact that the reason she can't be a knight is because she's a girl exactly. they don't bring it up i mean they never talk about says, it says her mom says that she's a girl but the way she says it sounds like i want you to stay at home yeah and it's not like you're a girl girls aren't night she's like you're a girl you should stay with me yeah it's so all right let's talk about let's talk about a similar character ariel people complain all the time that ariel like complains a lot and that like 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 let's be real ariel's current life situation isn't exactly bad right she right. just wants to be a part of this she other world she, she wants, wants more to be where the people are ariel comes off as more sound and rational than Kaylee does because mm -hmm. not only does she know what she wants, she is taking actionable steps to get it. She collects stuff from the outside world. She makes a deal with a devil-like figure. She is purposefully trying to reach this goal. Well, and that's the other thing is what she wants is just to sort of experience this other world. And what Kaylee wants, this doesn't really come up until we hear the Excalibur stolen horn, and we will fucking get, get into to that. that. <laughs> uh, but she is certain that she can find Excalibur before anyone else. And there's no reason for her to think that. Yeah, she doesn't, she doesn't know where it is. She didn't see it fall. Right, there's no reason for her to believe she's better than the real knights. She just thinks that, which makes her a kid pretending. Do we want to do we want to cut over to the Griffin? Yeah, do we want to cut over to Ruber's fucking new master plan? Here's this new plan. It's the same as the old plan, but this time a Griffin does it. Yeah, so a Griffin shows up and everybody's like, "Whoa." A Griffin shows up while everyone is sitting at the round table. Not while Arthur is alone, while everyone is at the round table. Fucking, oh, sorry, let's talk about this real quick. Arthur has this weird fucking ritual that he does. When anyone sits at the round table, they have to have their swords, like, holstered or sheathed into a, like, chair scabbard. Yeah. Which turns out to be a really bad idea, because when fucking Arthur goes to reach for his sword, the griffin just takes a chunk out of his chair and leaves. Yeah, you think he'd let people keep their weapons at their sides after a dude attacked him at the round table. So the new plan is the griffin takes the sword. The griffin takes the sword, drops it in the forest. A horn goes off. And random farmers look up and say, Oh, Excalibur's been stolen. Kaylee looks up and says, Excalibur's been stolen. Why do they have an Excalibur's stolen horn? I, what did I tweet out? Like, you know what's not as cool as dogs barking in code at each other? Humans horning at each other. It is, what? makes no, like, we have this special horn, only blow it in case Excalibur gets stolen. I bet yes. fucking Merlin did it. He was like, we'll just have this horn, you know, just in case Excalibur gets stolen like, or whatever. If they, if they had the horn and then 
people were looking up and said, oh, something's happened. That would be just not stupid. Like, not stupid, though. Or maybe a horn that was, the king is being attacked. That seems like a more useful horn. Or even a horn that were like, Griffin! It's the Griffin horn! It's the, yeah, it's the fucking myth, it's the mythical creature horn. Ah, oh, fuck. So, whatever. Everyone in Camelot knows that Excalibur has been stolen. And that Arthur has been injured, I guess? Yeah, uh... It doesn't really look like he got injured in the scene. It just kind of looks like he was like, Ah, oh, fuck, I really wish I hadn't gone for my sword. I'm super scared. My understanding of King Arthur is that the sword chose him because he was great. Mm-hmm. And this movie really puts forth that he's great because of the of sword. Of the sword, yeah. it's Which is not the case in all of the mythos. Especially because most of the sword mythos came around later than all the King Arthur stories. Like, there was the sword in the stone, or in the, um, in the stump story. Yeah. But that was actually a different sword than the later sword, which he got from the, um, Lady of the Lake. Like, it doesn't matter what kind of sword he has, he just needs a sword. Yeah, because he's like a fucking knight, and that's what knights need back in the day. Also, he prefers swords to, like, axes and stuff, because it's the weapon yeah. of a more civilized age. Good. All right, good. Hey, sorry. But yeah, like, it's it removes King Arthur's agency to make his entire character's power rely on this one object, because then you run into the problem that, well, if the object gets stolen, who is King Arthur? Right, and stuff like this can be interesting, like a Green Lantern story where he loses his ring or something. But they do not, that's not the story we're, get, we're, we're listening right, to. Right, because we're not being told King Arthur's story, we're being told some kid's story. And and this kid is like, I'm gonna go fucking find this sword, and her mom's like, fuck you finding this fucking sword, you're but gonna you're stay not home. finding the sword. And be what safe. What are you doing? What are you gonna do? You're just gonna like run outside and look around for something shiny? Get back in here, what's wrong with you? And yes, she doesn't, like, see the sword fall or anything useful like that. She just believes she can do it. And and so she she's complaining about it while there is a chicken in this fucking movie who uh. is, is a real ladies' man. And in the middle of her saving him from his shenanigans, who comes knocking at their door but Ruber. Ruber. Let me talk about this scene. Because Ruber straight up starts talking about how evil and crazy he is. Because nuances for suckers, I guess. He's just like, yeah, I'm evil and crazy. And he has this really bad singing <laughs> Oh my bit. god. Okay, I actually have this note. It says, this garbage villain has a garbage song with this stupid army and there's still another hour of this. Of this movie. Ugh. It's... I, what is it? The the first good line in this movie doesn't happen until 30 minutes in. And it's a brief respite. And it's only because I love Eric Idle. And the, he kicks the chicken into the pit, into this pit where he, like, few... Okay. He... So the, in, in, in an intro... Again, another thing that could be an interesting idea, he's turning his army into, like, golems. Like, living weapons. Yeah, like mechanical soldiers. He is fusing these people's bodies and souls to their weapons. Which sounds cooler than it is. The chicken? He yeah, he just grabs a chicken and an axe and throws him in there. And the chicken gains sentience. Now it learns to talk. My question is, 
how smart was this axe? Because <laughs> that definitely couldn't have come from the chicken. Uh, I fucking love this line on Wikipedia. Oh boy. Uses a potion he obtained from some witches, which is a line from the fucking movie. We don't know where he, he got this say potion. That. He's like, I got this potion from some witches. I think it's in the song, actually. I think he sings it. To create steel warriors from his human henchmen and a rooster who becomes Bladebeak. Fucking. Gary Oldman, I assume drunk or high. <laughs> very much not attached to this role walked into a sound booth at warner brothers somewhere and and just said, had to say the line behold blade beak what the fuck am i reading here what some tired directors had to push a button and go listen gary just read your lines and we'll let you go we'll we'll let your family free <laughs> I imagine he recorded this at home on the toilet. That's like the acoustics of this scene. Just called it in, just like got on his phone. Yeah, he recorded it on, it was 98. He recorded it with his flip phone. That's That really explains why the sound is so terrible in this movie. I have another line that I think I mentioned earlier. It's, it just says, it would be so great if this movie's voice acting, animation, music, or story were any good it's all bad there is nothing there are there is a sink there is one line in this movie that made me chuckle and then and then something else that i am ashamed of but we'll get to that and even then i was like man this sucks man this is bad i dislike this kaylee gets away while everybody is turning into soldiers except she she gets away because her mother tells her to, and her mother has to tell her to, like, four times. Like, this girl has no... She, she has no personal agency. Up until a scene, there are multiple points in this movie where she has to reaffirm her decision to go become a knight, but then still never takes any steps to, like, achieve that goal. She's just a kid. so late in the movie before she starts doing shit by herself. And, and by then, it's like, what was your goal? It's too little too late. I already don't care about this character. But not that only way. that, but by then she has changed what her character wants. Mm-hmm. All right, so as Kaylee's henchmen, like, switch in and switch out to become Robo-Men, uh, no, 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 no. Kaylee escapes. We can't do this here. Ruber's henchmen become Robo-Men. Kaylee leaves. That's what we're doing. You said Kaylee's henchmen. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Fuck. Sorry. Don't get me wrong, that would be a more interesting movie. Literally any any sentence would be a more interesting movie. <laughs> God, so, uh, so Ruber's henchmen are switching in and switching out guard duty to turn themselves into robo-men. Kaylee gets out, and her mom's like, you need to go warn King Arthur. And Kaylee's like, fuck that, I'm gonna go find Excalibur, because the griffin told us where it was. It was in the Forbidden Forest. The shit that happens in the Forbidden Forest in a better movie could be really cool because it's it's almost like a um, fire swamp area. Well, the the problem is, right, is like this Forbidden Forest... Hey, it's actually a lot like the fire swamp area because fucking Carrie Ellis is there. Yeah, right? Right? So, so, but, but the thing is, is like this Forbidden Forest is so bright and nice. It is, but it's also trying to kill you. But even, like, but, like, compared to, like, the the regular-ass forest and the fox and the hound, like, this forest is unintimidating as fuck. And it's, like, mm-hmm. 
it wants so bad to be this scary evil place but the they just it's too bright and too happy and then at some point it becomes the elephant graveyard from the lion king and then stops being that again well that's where the dragons live yeah the come on dragon country kaylee meets garrett yeah who is a blind hermit he's again he's the closest thing this movie has to an interesting character and Carrie always I, sounds so tired delivering every line. He does. And the person they have singing for him doesn't sound like him. He, he The person that they have singing for him sounds like he just got off of his audition for Nickelback. Like, <laughs> man, I really screwed up that audition, but maybe this will be my in. Brian White is his name. I'm sure he's oh, a wonderful like person. He's been in a lot of poor movies. Oh, no, only a few poor movies. He has not been in a lot. But he's done singing in poor movies. Is he Canadian? Oklahoma. Country? Oh, no. He did the soundtrack for a Tom Slayer movie where Tom Slayer is a mouse. Yikes. You know, you know this guy? I hope this guy is living his best life now. (laughs) I don't know. I'd be a little disappointed if this is anybody's best life. I know. I I mean, I hope that he... You hope something good has happened to him after this? uh, Yeah. Yeah. I hope something. Um... Gosh, I don't know. I don't know what I want anymore. I just don't. Want, I just don't want this to be his legacy. This doesn't deserve to be anybody's legacy. Fucking Celine Dion was in this movie. What? No. No. What? No. Yeah, what she movie? was. She was the mom. She sang. Well, she wasn't the mom. She sang for the mom. Holy mother! Ha. ha. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I know. <laughs> This movie's... That's among the stupider things I've ever done. Uh... But no, this movie's so draining, right? It's like, fuck. Oh, gosh. Okay, so... The chicken was Urkel. What? My guy. I know he was the voice of uh, Sonic for a long time. Yeah, and also Bladebeak. Oh, my God. Oh, jeez. Oh, no. Okay. Frank Welker was the bird noises, so that's nice. Uh, we got off track because anything feels better than talking about but this movie. <laughs> so, um, what the hell is happening? Oh, she met Garrett. Yeah, so she met Garrett, the closest thing this movie has to a human character. It's just that I can see where somebody thought, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we talk about disability in Camelot? Because Garrett is fucking good at what he does. But yeah. he has no place in Camelot because he's blind. Even though he's definitely as good as any knight. Yeah, the only problem is is he, he keeps saying, like, there's no place for me there. But when he gets there, nobody's like, oh my god, the blind guy's back. We never see that there's no place for him there. There isn't even an ADR line where a knight says, well, he can't <laughs> be a knight. Nothing. He just shows up and everyone's like, fuck yeah, sure, who gives a shit? Fucking, it's Camelot. Right. It's a silly place. Same with Kaylee. I mean, I felt like this story should be about her proving that a woman can be a knight, or even just that she specifically can be. But there's nobody who ever says that she can't. Exactly. Not even not even the villain says something like, oh, you thought you could do this. Like, nobody at any point tells these two characters. In fact, the opposite Sir Lionel told both of these characters that they could be. The only thing that's telling them they can't is themselves. And it's absurd. Now, see, that would be an interesting psychological movie. 
And that doesn't come up either. No, because they never talk about, God, isn't it weird that the only people who don't believe in us is us? Kaylee tells Garrett that she wants a sword, and he's like, no, it's too dangerous for you to go in there. He sings a song. (laughs) About how he doesn't need anyone. When I realized this, it was one of my favorite things about the movie. Garrett tells Kaylee it's too dangerous for her to come along, and just leaves her to die. While singing a song about how anyone but him would definitely (laughs) die in this forest. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he's like everybody but me is fucked, and (laughs) and she (laughs) and she just. But she she fucking sticks to him like like wet glue on a hot summer day, and he's like, well, if I can't get rid of you, then maybe then I'll just I'll just. protect you from the dangers of this forest by being cool medieval daredevil also he has this hawk with silver wings that's actually merlin's hawk but it also seems like it's more his hawk like he talks about how the hawk was with him since he moved to the forest and merlin calls upon the hawk once and then the hawk spends the rest of its time with, with garrett. yeah with garrett so so this is Garrett's hawk that Merlin just likes to talk to every Boros, once in a while. I guess. Or maybe he gave it to Garrett without Garrett knowing. Yeah, like when Garrett left, he was like, go keep an eye on this boy. He's destined right. for great things, maybe, I hope. Here, that's the other thing. He's got fucking Merlin looking out for him. Nobody thinks Garrett can't do anything. Uh, Garrett explains to to Kaylee how exactly he is able to survive. It's because of this bird. He's just like... He learned that if he just is patient and waits for the bird signal, he can always fight real good or something. Are we talking about the weird training sequence between Aiden and Kaylee? Where they, uh, you mean Garrett, but yes, Aiden's the name of the bird. Aiden's, Aiden's the name of the bird, between Garrett and Kaylee. Yeah, here's the thing about this, See, okay. Well, we're not, we're not there yet, but yeah. Okay, okay, but it's just, I have a real problem with it. You're right, that's after the dragons. Yeah, we have to meet the dragons. Ooh, we have to meet the dragons. Do do we have to meet these dragons? So, why don't we meet the dragons first before we get into how well, much I hate this training sequence? Well, let's talk about... No, let's no, talk no, about, I'm just going to do it now. Let's talk about, no, no, let's talk about Garrett, and let's talk about the fact that, like, okay, so he was a young stable boy in Camelot, and a horse stepped on his face, and he was blind. And Lionel taught Garrett how he to be blind. Say that it took him a while to get blind. So he might have, like, gotten hit in the head somehow in his... No, the the scene is framed so that the horse steps on his face and you are led to believe that in that moment he was he went blind. Like, the scene well, is framed that, that way. It, it, his, his... At first I could only see shadows. I thought that meant it, it took, like, some days or some weeks. But the last thing he, quote-unquote, sees shadows of is the horses and the fire. Okay. It's a poorly framed scene. But anyway, a horse stepped on his face and he went blind. And uh, Kaylee's dad taught him how to be a good blind person. Well, no, Andy. He taught him how to be a good person. <laughs> blind is an adjective. It just it describes what kind of person Garrett is, which is but a blind that's, one. That's, that's the problem with the training sequence between Garrett and Kaylee. Because... He starts training her to how to be as good at fighting as he is, right? Yeah. But we but we know that both of them were trained by the same dude? For the same amount of time. Right. They're both the same age. And we saw that Kaylee was pretty good at play fighting earlier. So I do not understand 
how he could possibly know more than she does. Well, he has been living in a forest fighting forest monsters with this kick-ass bird while she's been throwing mud on pigs and complaining about chickens. It's true, but it's not framed in that way? No, it's it's not. It definitely isn't. But are you telling me that this movie has pacing problems, Tony? It's actually framed weirdly like A New Hope with the um, Blast Shield down thing. Yeah, yeah. It definitely is. And there is a uh, um, turning off the... What was the fucking... Turning off your targeting computers moment. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. in this movie. That's really bad. (laughs) So... Uh, so let's meet the dragons. So we meet Eric Idle and uh, Don Rickles, both amazing voice actors in their own rights with amazing, beautiful careers, and none of it shows in this movie. Yeah, they are not working very hard. And they are, Maybe and, they just read the script and decided how much effort to put into this. Yeah, they're they're two they're a two headed dragon. They're they're the fucking two headed dragon from fucking Dragon Tales, but they hate each other. Like the two-headed dragon from Dragon Tales, they wish they could be separate dragons. And they can't breathe fire or fly, and other dragons make fun of them because, let's be real, they're kind of a pathetic creature. They're also, like, hugely fat. I mean, the other dragons are too, though. Are they? Okay. It's just that when when I think of a dragon, it's got, like, a lot of neck and head. Yeah. And they have they have just a lot of body. Yeah, it, it looks to me like, like the other dragons look like bulldogs, you know? Okay. Like, really slimy yeah, bulldogs. And these two just look like a bowling ball with heads. Mm-hmm. Well, a bowling ball with a head and then a weird head-shaped wart on its shoulder. Yes. So, um, these four get chased by dragons and Ruber at the same time. Ruber and... fucking throws away his fucking sword or whatever the fuck to punch a a dragon why why not just hit it with your thing made to hit other things it would be more effective like studies have shown that hitting somebody with like a bat is more effective than punching them in the face you know why because a bat that's why i'm imagine i'm imagining these studies and they're all performed in alleyways (laughs) all right now hit him with now hit him with the bat this time he's like nearly dead well then we'll go find another one (laughs) that would be a more interesting movie so the the dragons and Rupert and his men get into a big old fight and meanwhile kaylee and garrett uh and the dragons get away and we are treated to the absolute worst of the musical sequences in this movie because it is so fucking long Oh, okay. Well, it's pretty long, but I don't think it's the worst. Well, it's oh, also think... it's also filled with references to other better things. Yeah, there it is. Like, That's... there's a Lion King reference and a Looney Tune and multiple Looney Tunes references. Mm-hmm. An Elvis reference. Um, what oh, else? Elvis reference. Yeah. Oh, the Elvis reference. A disco <sighs> reference. A reference to like uh like Dadaist cubism, which was weird and didn't belong. It's bad. It's like like this movie had like at some point someone in this movie who's own who's had a job and their job was to write jokes and they they go they went up to like a suit and said listen man none of these jokes are landing none of them are funny we've got all the recordings back none of them are testing well with audiences what do we do and some drunk like coked out of his mind warner brothers executive just looked up and said put them all in there wait was this warner brothers this was warner brothers my guy motherfucker 
So this movie is constantly throwing jokes at you, hoping one of them sticks, and none of them do. Not one. Good God. They just, it does not. It does not stop. It the only thing more monotonous than the story is when the story takes a break for a joke. It's real bad. So the the dragons decide to stick along with the group because they help people and apparently that's bad in dragon land. Yeah, but they were already... It sounded like they were kind of being bullied to the point of being hunted. Yeah, I mean, they were hiding out in an egg. Who knows? Yeah. So <laughs> there's this great thing where the movie tries to build up some tension where it's like... We want to come. And Kaylee's like, they should come. And Garrett's like, what? No. And then Kaylee says, come on. And Garrett's like, fucking fine. And it's like, <laughs> the movie just continually drops any pretense of tension. They find they find Excalibur's belt. Belt? Scabbard? Scabbard. And belt, I think. But yes, scabbard is the word you're looking for. In, in like, the dirt. In, like, a big footprint. Garrett's like, shut the fuck up. And Kaylee's like... But what what the fuck is this giant ass footprint? And I'm gonna keep talking though. And then Garrett gets shot. (laughs) Oh my god. I hate this so much. He gets grazed in the side with an arrow. She this is the definition of a flesh wound. And she's immediately like, don't die, don't die. He's not bleeding. I know it's a cartoon, you don't usually show a lot of blood, but Come on. Like, if they wanted him to be shot in the back, they could I have would ju- think, oh shit. Yeah, they could like, have just shot him in the back. That's what a Disney movie would have done. And the other thing is, he heals immediately because she uses this magic leaf that plant. he. I thought it that, was a regular plant. It's a magic plant. It heals his clothes. No, remember earlier in the movie, there's a point earlier in the movie I know where that he. No, the point the movie is still he stupid. Picks, he picks a leaf off of the plant and is like, some things in this forest can heal you and others will hurt you. And at first you think, oh, that's cute. But then it becomes like Chekhov's plant leaf and right. it magically heals fine. him. And actually very good if it's done well. But the problem is is that it sucks. And then they both start singing about how much they love each other. And it's so bad. And Tony. Oh no, Andy, don't say this. I kind of liked it. No, Andy, why? And I know why. And I know why. And it's because the, the idea... The idea that here you have two people who both desperately want to be, like, knights at King Arthur's court, and one of them's a girl and one of them's a blind dude, and, like, they're both ostracized because of their status in this culture, falling in love, like, appeals to my heart. And then I got really mad because this movie (laughs) sucks, and there could have been a good version of this. This movie fucking sucks, and I'll say it again, I love the idea of Garrett. I love the idea of this character that they do nothing, nothing with, interesting with. But I, I like more than anything love the, the idea. Song's called Through Your Eyes, which oh. sounds like again, it could be an interesting love song when half of it is sung by a blind guy. And it's not. It's very bad. Oh, I cannot and stress then, this enough. And then there's Don't there... listen to Andy, it's a bad no, song. No, I felt no, nothing. no, 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 no. He Tony's right. The only reason I felt anything is because I'm like in my I'm like right now writing a better version of this story <laughs> like like the, like the the world is ripe for this kind of story today and i can do it but that's not the point it's a weird thing to say about cartoon characters but these two have no chemistry they have no chemistry <laughs> like 
usually you say that to people who are actually on screen, but there's nothing between these two characters. There, it's it's so <sighs> all of their interactions are so dry and lack any form of emotion. Even this scene, even this singing number has nothing. But god damn it, I I want I want I want the pitch that this movie is selling me. I don't want anything else. Fuck, this movie was based on a book. I could honestly do without the two-headed dragon. I don't think there was anything very interesting about that character. The way they Oh, the dragon? It. Yeah. Yeah, no, fuck that. They can, I I could throw that away chicken too but that's i mean obviously so these two fall in love and immediately kaylee has kaylee has course corrected her life (laughs) she has gone from wanting to be a knight to wanting garrett so fast but her character motivation has changed at this moment like she no longer gives a shit about being a knight well she still wants to find the sword so she has a she has an amount of um like loyalty to at least her either to king arthur or to her father or to her old ideals or something she wants to find that sword so so she wants to find that sword she wants to bone down on garrett garrett wants to find that sword and garrett wants to bone down on her and the two dragons want to bone down on each other which yeah is its um, own weird like they try to do that whole gag thing that you'll see in cartoons a lot where two dudes kiss each other and then make a face but yeah, they gay kiss panic. each other for no reason. Yeah, they like they like do a gay panic for nothing. And they talked about how like one of them definitely stuck his tongue in the other's mouth. Like this wasn't a chaste kiss. Yeah, this was a this was this was deep in it. This was from Paris. It was so French. Also, they're brothers. Or the same person. Or the same person. It's not. It's, it's it's not real clear what this would mean it, to be this level of connected. Yeah. So they they figure out that uh that the sword has been taken by this horrible terrible CGI ogre. It's a 3D monstrosity and the scene that it's in has all the charm of a difficult poop. <laughs> <laughs> Which it's funny you say that because that scene ends on like a terrible I wrote that fucking down fart before joke before the difficult poop part oh, of the scene. Oh no. Ugh. It's real bad. So they it was so bad. I was so angry that this I'm so angry that this movie exists. Actually, dude, the the the, the ogre reminded me of something. Yeah. They, it looked like they took the face of the ogre off the never-ending story. It really does. And and from what I heard the the technology used to do that ogre was m- meant for a live action movie. That would make more sense, I feel like. It it felt very out of place in this movie. Yeah. Well, like there's this like movie a movie was made in the 90s, which oh, was the height of weird CGI. Of fucking up your 3D animation and your 2D animated movie. Or just fucking up your 3D animation in general to be real. But like well, I think this movie actually came out after Toy Story. So. Yeah, but even then, like fucking up like 3D and live action is still really hard. Yeah. Like even today. But like like there's like a scene earlier during the love song where like they step on like a green like a green toothpaste that or something that was CGI. There's so much we haven't really gone over this, but there's so much of this movie where they just throw CGI in. And I understand that sometimes you need to cut corners in your movie, but what corner 
did they leave intact? That's the thing, right? Is like there are so many points in this movie where they had to cheap out on their animation. This movie was forty million dollars. What the fuck happened to all that money? Like, yeah, because. And and I really want to like like this is a good as point as any to talk about it. The animation of this movie has is so bad that there are constant points where there is there's no like within a single scene there is no frame of reference for where the fuck anyone is or what they're doing or why they're doing it. And on top of that, nobody ever feels like they're touching each other or on the ground properly. Like everything feels so floaty and disconnected. And then the, the just the design, just the character design, like these two main characters whose faces we have to stare at for like almost the entirety of this one and a half hour fucking movie, they look disgusting. The their way mouths look weird. The way that their mouths Whenever look and the way somebody moves their mouth, it's like, what are you doing? What is that's not what a person do? And like, it's like it's it, it looks like um Pumpkinhead. Yeah. From, uh, movie name. Uh, Return to Oz. Return to Oz. That's what it looks like. It's because his mouths aren't right. It weirds me out. It's such the, the only characters that are animated correct that feel more animated correctly are uh, the Falcon because I feel like they don't need to do a lot with that one. Yeah, because a bird is naturally uh, floaty and disconnected. And I think the dragons and the the Griffin, Griffin feel pretty okay because you don't have to think of them as having a regular face yeah and so so it really works out the dragons are still pretty bad like they are they but i don't know if, like when they talk i don't hate it <laughs> no i do but that's not but not because yeah, of the okay. animation but not, not because of the <laughs> oh right. man every because line as soon as they can fly they start making airline oh jokes. my god they made three airline jokes no four airline jokes back to back to back at the end of this fucking movie and i was so mad i was so mad because because and like nobody Iron says are you feeling clucky and i fucking oh it's real oh yeah where, and then he he does like a thing where he like makes his feathers a gut oh it's so fucking stupid i hate everything in this movie so where are we what is happening um uh they, they get the sword from the ogre uh, the ogre wakes up and accidentally stops Ruber and everyone from not from killing them or stopping them, and then he farts them into submission or death or not or whatever, and they escape again. He actually farts them into a wall. Into a wall. In actually, kind of another Team Rocket scene. Yeah. If Pokemon were gross and, and bad. bad, so they they get away with Excalibur and. They they can see the light at the end of the forest, and and now hey, and do you know what you just made me think of? You just made me think of Tangled, a better movie with way better music. Oh gosh! You just made me think of seeing the light from Tangled, and now it's playing in my head, and I am significantly happier. I'm not because I haven't seen that movie in a, I haven't seen that movie recently so i so like i'm like fucking hot off the heels of watching justice league right like that was the last movie i watched so i'm in a real bad fucking place right now like <laughs> emotionally creatively i i have nowhere to escape um so so but uh, no actually fuck justice league is a better fucking movie than this fucking shit i'm saying it right now i'll die on that Damn, that's a hill i'll throw. fucking die on um, and that's not even a competent movie. It has that movie has no structure. Like this is, this is a forty million dollar fucking piece of trash. 
and I would rather watch a $300 million piece of trash because it's prettier. So for okay. no for no reason, Garrett all of a sudden doesn't want to, to get Excalibur back. Right, and I think it's, I mean, it, it does come across later that, oh, he didn't really want to get Excalibur because it means now he has to leave Kaylee because she needs to go on her quest and he can't go there. But it's never explained why he can't go there. I guess we're just supposed to accept that blind people aren't allowed in Camelot. Because, but again, the movie then later is like, like nobody tries to stop yeah, him fine. from entering. Uh, whatever. So I can't, I can't say enough that I like the idea of this guy who went blind and he had one person willing to help him deal with being blind. And this person shielded him from the other people who were like, this kid can't do anything, he's blind. And this guy dies, and he's basically out. But the movie doesn't even But that begin, doesn't do it! But the movie doesn't even begin to tell that story, because all it is is he went blind, this guy helped him, that guy's gone, and now he thinks nobody wants him. But nothing reaffirms that belief in any way. It's the same thing with Kaylee, a character who by like, like, Pitch-wise, on conception, I enjoy. Here's a girl mm. who wants to grow up to become a knight, but, like, the fashions of the times, that's kind of not okay. The movie never spells this out, but, like, it would be an interesting story to see a girl rise above her station and become a knight despite her gender. The movie doesn't even fucking touch it. This movie wants there to be no arc or tension. To the point that... The moment Garrett turns around and goes into the forest, Kaylee gets kidnapped instantly. How do giant groaning metal behemoths sneak up on someone? There's a joke earlier in the movie that they can't sneak because they're too loud. There, there is in the ogre part. Oh, fuck. Is she deaf? Is is the underlying <laughs> message of this movie, she's deaf? She's deaf, he's blind, blind, and together they have all five senses. Okay. I'm sorry, we just made a better movie again. Right? Uh, no, actually, we didn't. That's, um, See No Evil. Hear No Evil? Which one? Is it Hear No Evil, See No Evil? I don't remember. Okay, it's the movie with Gene Wilder. Oh, it's got that great, that great scene where, um, he tells his partner how to drive. Now, Tony. Yeah. As much as I'd love to talk about this movie with you, we gotta go back to Camelot. We're on that. We're on that. Why is it that movies with the word "fucking quest" in them are so bad? I never realized that until just this moment. Yeah, like fucking Wolf Quest for Camelot. So there's uh, a mashup nobody asked for or wanted. Yeah, that. So she's captured and she's thrown in with her mom in the wagon because I guess everybody gets to Camelot at the same time. Congratulations. The dragons go back to get Garrett. Oh no 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 no! We talked about it earlier, but this is the scene where it happens. Fucking. Ruben, Ruber, Ruber. Oh, he binds himself to the sword. Yeah, he like holds up the sword and puts a little drop of the witch's potion onto his arm and turns himself into sword hand, Ruber. Yeah, he still looks like him, which is a little disappointing. I kind of would have liked the full transformation. For sure, easily. Would have been a lot better. You know, like I've always appreciated... Jafar turning into a big evil genie. Yeah, that was the like one of the coolest, scarier parts of Aladdin. Yeah, another better movie. Done that, and it 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 didn't. So Rupert Rupert has a sword, has a cool mechanical sword, but everything in this movie is so fucking over designed. Like they have this whole three rings motif that 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 like her dad talks about, and it's like nobody gives a shit about your absurd symbolism that you made up for this movie over and over, and there's no reason for it. Nobody cares. While she's making out with Garrett, Aiden 
flies the three rings around them in water. Because they're and... united now, Tony, because they have a connection. That's bullshit. I know, I know. No, I mean, I know you know. <laughs> it just is. This movie sucks. So they get to Excalibur or Camelot. <laughs> they get to Excalibur. They... I don't fucking know anymore. Anyway, so the dragons go back to get Garrett. Kaylee, the supposed heroine of the story, hasn't done shit for, like, trying to get herself out of shit this whole time. And it's not until even a little bit later that she starts to do shit on her own. The dragons go to get Garrett, and they start flying because they're so mad at the same time. And we learned that they, since they don't agree, they couldn't fly. And they've never gotten hungry at the same time. Yeah, or like... They've never gotten scared at the same time. They've lived for 500 years. It's... Not one Once time. did they ever agree. If they had been, like, a few years old, if they had been a couple decades old, I could buy it. 500. So Bladebeak fucking cuts Kaylee free. She doesn't even free herself. The fucking chicken does. Then when they hit a pothole, she does kickbox her way out of trouble. When she finally starts doing shit, it starts to get interesting. Now, the fact that it does this way too late... Like, we are ten minutes from the end of this movie. We are already gone. But it is kind of a cool scene where there's this giant-ass thing in front of her, and she just kicks him over as soon as he's off balance. I should re-emphasize, by the way, that Ruber's plan this entire time was to get his griffin to attack Arthur, steal the sword, give it to him so that he could fuse with the sword, so that he could go to Camelot and kill Arthur. Yep. <laughs> While everyone's there. He's not great at planning. Here's the thing, it fucking works. Despite the fact that all throughout this movie... These giant metal warriors have been getting shit on. Not once have they done anything that made me think that they are intimidating. As soon as they get into Camelot... They are wrecking shit. And then, and then this movie has a, has a really weird, like... Oh, wait, wait. So Garrett shows up and saves Kaylee from falling off of a wall because she can't even fucking do that right. <laughs> oh, I did not mean that to sound like I wanted this character to die. <laughs> So, every I you mean she couldn't walk on the wall, right? Not that she couldn't jump off. At this point, I don't care. Oh man, I have my my next note is if this fucking sphincter of a movie could stop referencing better movies for two seconds, we'd all be happier. I was done. With this goddamn piece of shit movie. Oh, gosh. This is the scene, by the way, where we get the four fucking airline jokes. Where fucking Garrett shows up on the dragons and he says, I flew here, coach. And then the dragons make three more airplane jokes. Did the one of the four writers of this fucking movie, like, just get real Seinfeld obsessed at some point? I think he just got off a plane. He was like, guys, I got some gold. (laughs) Oh my god. Okay. But here's here's okay. Here's the thing. The thing. The thing. So Garrett is off killing Arthur. And Arthur Ruben is Rupert. Not Rupert is off well. killing Arthur. <laughs> <laughs> so Garrett switches sides. Alright, that's enough. And me and Tony <laughs> were like, whoa, this movie has only got a million times better. He, like, holds up his stick and pushes it against Arthur's face. And he's like, 
do you bleed? And then King Arthur's like, save Kaylee as, uh, fuck. Kaylee swings in on, like, a... A log? A, I guess they're still fixing the griffin crashing through the ceiling. the griffin. So, okay, that actually, that is an established thing that should be there. Yeah. But what she says, he's like, I will be king. And she says, I won't serve a false king, which is what her dad said. And but she, she doesn't know that. She would never so, know that. She like had that doesn't no, make any sense. There is no conceptual what? reason for any of those words to be in her lexicon. Like It would be a great moment if it made any fucking sense. sense. So she like rams him through the sky the big ass window, the wide window behind Arthur. They both go flying into the pasture where Stonehenge is. And he does this thing that is done in better movies where he stops doing the thing he wants to do so he can kill this chick first, which is like what happens in Mulan. Yeah. That villain recognizes this was the guy who killed all of his people. Yeah. And I guess just hates Kaylee. Like, she's not any good. He could leave her and go kill Arthur first. Also, also, Garrett just disappears for three minutes and then comes back. So Gar- Garrett, like, attacks River, and River's like, ha, fucking blind guy. Fuck your stick, reason, blind man. For some reason now, he can fight him? When before, he couldn't. Like, his... whatever. But he, he knocks away his stick again in a better movie. Could have been very powerful. And then he leaves him because he doesn't see him as a threat. Again, better movie, very powerful. So he throws... Ruber at Kaylee, and he's like, and like he goes two for one. Like I'll kill you both at the same time. I'll run you both through like with that. my big arm sword, and then Kaylee, now invigorated with the power of having a, of of having a weird training montage with this blind man, gives the signal. They both dodge the sword, and Ruber stabs it into the stone. This again could be a good scene in a better movie, because. We know that nobody else can pull the sword from the stone, Except, so he's fucked. But, but instead, what is, he blows up. Yeah, he disintegrates. A healing wave goes over Camelot, and everything is fixed. Including Arthur's injury. Yes, including Arthur's injury. All the, all the Fucking... metal guys become humans again. Bladebeak becomes a chicken. Like, everything is just, it's just It's over. all magically it fixed. the dragons apart, and then they hug and come back, back together. together again, which, which is ridiculous. Made me angry. <laughs> I have one fucking thing to say about the last scene. Okay. Is this a wedding or not? Yeah, right? I know. It's, she's in like a wedding dress and he's like all dressed up. And like, it would be a super cool power move to have the backdrop of your wedding be the day you and your husband get both knighted into King Arthur's court. Yeah, that would be baller. Kick-ass wedding story. It seems like she's surprised to be a knight. And she see, yeah. This comes as a shock to her. But also, there's a moment where he's like, where Garrett says he didn't get everything he wanted, and then he kisses her, which tells me it's not a not wedding. the wedding. It's what is and this? It's oh god. So and before anything happens, both the dragons are crying, which tells me they know something's up. That, that apparently these Garrett and, and Kaylee, Kaylee don't. don't. <laughs> Maybe Garrett threw a surprise night ship, and Kaylee threw a surprise wedding. And the dragons were in on both plans, and I have just written hey, a better movie. 
If you're thinking about a surprise wedding, don't do that. Yeah, don't. <laughs> yeah, please. Look. Didn't we talk about this before? Haven't we said this already? Don't surprise people with a wedding. I feel like we have, but I cannot imagine. Maybe, let's say it again. I cannot imagine the circumstances in which I would have to say, do not surprise people with a wedding. But I'm sure we've said it before. Well, we're here now. A surprise nighting's probably fine. Except that she was in a wedding dress, so, like, she's not dressed for a nighting. Oh, my God. So this movie is a fucking... This, this movie did do one good thing, but it doesn't make any sense. Uh-huh. Because there was a healing wave... Yep. ...that came from sticking the sword in the stone. And we know that Garrett became blind because of an injury. Yes. His blindness should have been healed. Now, I would have hated... For this movie to just fix his blindness. Yeah, it would have that would have been really bad. But also, there was a healing wave, and that thinking logically should have fixed his blindness. It's so if they had just not done the fucking healing wave. All right, yeah, maybe it was like a. Do you know what, man? There, there are a lot of things that this movie could have done to fix or it. Or if the healing wave only got rid of like the weird robot dudes, like it was just um. The end of episode one of Phantom Menace. Oh man, it's so bad. It's uh, it's absurdly terrible, baffling. I've been yelling a lot this episode. I would yell too, but I'm just like so. I don't want to strain my vocal cords more than they have to be because of whatever the fuck is wrong with them right now. So I want to talk about this movie's production. Let's go back in time. Let's jump into our. Let's jump into back our. Let's jump into our Wayback Machine and go back about 22 years. 1995, May. Disney is at the height of the Renaissance. Nobody knows this, but at the time in Disney, there was a lot of shortchanging of staff. A lot of people higher up in Disney wanted to stop making animated films. Uh, Walt's nephew, I believe he is, was fighting to keep Disney animation alive. So there was a there was a schism happening in Disney between the animation team and the This was in ninety five? This was this was yeah, this was in the nineties. This is what eventually caused this is what eventually caused like uh the animators that splintered off into becoming um Pixar. This is what eventually yeah, okay. splintered into and this was the this is the nineties. That feels like such weird timing because they just made a whole slew of really popular. Well, that's the thing is is movies. is ninety five by so this is the nineties by ninety five a lot of things have happened. Mm -hmm. One, Pixar had established themselves as being a film studio. Toy Story had would come out not a couple mm -hmm. months after the this movie was slated for production. So a lot of a lot of the fallout from this schism in the late 80s early 90s was happening. You had Dreamworks SKG establishing itself as an animation studio with hits like Prince of Egypt. That's such a weird movie to be a big hit. I know, but every like everybody wanted a piece of the Disney Renaissance pie. Meanwhile, Disney was trying to get out, which is weird, but don't in, in a couple so of weird. well in a couple of years right like disney would have a couple more hits and then a bunch of flops so mm -hmm. it's it was a complicated time warner brothers wanted a piece of the pie they wanted their don bluth they wanted their big animated hit at this point warner brothers feature animation didn't really exist they had done one animated film that i have never heard of what's it called rover dangerfield oh no I have never heard of this. I have no idea what the fuck this is. 
starring oh. the voice talents of comedian Rodney Dangerfield. They did not oh. make a movie entirely about a comedian, except now he's a dog. Fuck me, we need to add this to the list. Yeah, that actually pretty much seems to be what it's about. He's a Vegas show dog. And he gets thrown off the nice. Hoover Dam? What? You know what would be a good movie to watch this with? Uh, All Dogs Go to Heaven. These movies. Yeah, so these guys haven't exactly hit the big time. But they wanted it. They wanted a slice of that animation pie. So Warner Brothers got on a lot of ex-Disney talent. Nobody big. Uh, most of the big names were either retired, for mostly for good, working in Europe for some reason, or just just not out of the animation game. But a lot of the smaller people, a lot of the kind of in-the-ditches animators. If they weren't picked up by DreamWorks, Warner Brothers was picking them up right off the road. We want ex-Disney people. They were desperate to have their hit. At the same time, a guy by the name of Bill Croyer and his wife Sue were working on a, a film called The Quest for the Grail. And the idea was to have this very dark, following the plot of Le Mort d'Arthur story about the quest for the Holy Grail. And the story in its form was pretty much exactly the story that we got, except instead of Excalibur, it was the Holy Grail. And instead of Garrett, it was a like young King Arthur. And this production was so into its schedule that like Christopher Reeve, Superman himself, was cast to be King Arthur. That's a pretty good King Arthur. Yeah, right? But in 1997, Warner Brothers was like, no, we want we want the Little Mermaid. We want the Lion King. We want Disney musical. We, we do not want to follow the DreamWorks model. We want to follow the Disney model. And that's not a bad move. So. In theory. In theory, right? In theory. So, Croyer and his wife were uh, removed from the project. They left the, the story changes that were made in response to Disney. They did not like uh, so this young guy from, I think, Belgium named Frederick Deschaux was put into the driver's seat. He was to be the director for the entire project. I am going to read to you an excerpt from the animated movie guide. This is so good. Sniffing the profits from Disney's mega hit, The Lion King, Warner Brothers decided to enter the high-budget animation arena. Along with DreamWorks, the resulting competition with Disney generated a demand for animation artists and for a while, year-round employment. When it announced its first project, The Quest for the Grail in 1995, loosely based on the novel The King's Damsel by Vera Chapman. The studio put the film into production before the story was finalized. Animators spent considerable downtime waiting for management to make up their minds. Crystal Cabland, or Clabend, lead animator for the blind hero Garrett, told Jenny Peters in Animation Magazine May 1998, quote, It was top-heavy. All of the executives were happily running around and playing executive, getting their corner offices, but very few of them had any concept about animation at all, about doing an animated film. It never occurred to anybody at the top that they had to start from the bottom and build that up. The problems were really coming from the inexperience of everyone involved. Those were people from Disney that had the idea that you just said, do it, and it gets done. It never occurred to them that it got done because Disney had an infrastructure in place, working like a clock. We didn't have that. 
Creative differences forced co-director Bill Croyer and his wife to leave in 1997. Dallas and Cooper Cohen replaced Frank Gladstone while Warner Brothers entrusted their $120 million plus enterprise to a novice Belgian animator, Frederick Deschaux. Effect supervisor Michael Gagne said, People were giving up. The head of layout was kicked out. The head of background, the executive producer, the producer, the director, the associate producer, all of the heads rolled. It was kind of a hard environment to work in. Reportedly, these, quote, cost overruns and production nightmares led the studio to, quote, reconsider their commitment to feature animation, end quote. This was Warner Brothers' first big animation project and also their last. If you don't count things that they did like Space Jam and Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which were live-action animation kind of mergers. Who Framed Roger Rabbit is was a partnership. Yes, it was. This was a fiscal nightmare and disaster. Everyone involved was gone. I can't. Okay, so what you're saying is I can't blame the people who actually worked on this movie for how bad this movie turned out. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, because the people who were the people at the bottom actually doing the grunt work of making this movie come to life didn't know what the fuck they were doing because there were people at the top who didn't know what the fuck they were doing, but they had $120 million to play with. I, it, it amazes me because this is like, it's like, like history repeating itself. Like Warner Brothers was so eager to jump into the animation game. They poured a ton of money into it. And all they got out of it was Space Jam and this. And Dogney Danger Field or whatever the fuck that movie was called. How does this happen? How does it happen again? Because like we're in a moment in history where Warner Brothers is at the same point with the superhero movie genre. They have access mm -hmm. to all of this talent. They're pouring all of this money into getting their their Disney Marvel hit. But I think I think like we're seeing just like this is all structural. There are people at the top who don't understand how any of this works. And they think, well, if they can do it, we can do it, which is in theory true. Yeah, and all and that and quote and that all they need to do is get the people who did it at oh. Disney to do it for them. Like right, like just recently, That's exactly what's happening. Like Joss Whedon taken over um, Justice League. It's like they don't understand that, like, the reason this isn't work, and also, like, their whole, like, we are, we're jumping out of feature animated films. Like, the problem is animated films are a bad sell. No, the problem is you made a bad movie. Honestly, you made a very bad movie. A shockingly bad movie. This movie is so fucked. <laughs> it is not even worth watching for the when interest. you told me it was Warner Brothers, I thought these are the people who did... Looney Tunes. Yeah. And Looney Tunes. None of those people touched really this. Not my cup of tea, but competent and very well done and good. So, you want to get into final thoughts on these movies? I think uh, watch Sorcerer's Stone and burn your copy of The Enchanted Sword, <laughs> Quest for Camelot. Uh, oh my god. Even the name. So. Man. <laughs> so, good did come out of Warner Brothers feature animation. They released The Iron Giant. After Brad Bird's um, mild success with The Brave Little Toaster. Fuck that movie, man. They brought him on because they doofa. they were like, this is a guy. This is, they were like, this is a guy who not only has the animation chops and experience from Disney to make a good Disney-like film, but also has the managerial chops to build up 
an animation studio to make his movie. So the Iron Giant came out of all of that, but didn't do well. The The next movie that they put out was Osmosis Jones, which is forgettable. Was that a good movie? It's, I feel like... It wasn't a bad movie. And then the last thing that they did was Looney Tunes Back in Action, hmm. which, if anything, has an amazing punchline that the whole movie sets up at the, from the beginning all the way to the end where the main character is Brendan Fraser's stunt, stunt double. Okay. That, that, have you ever watched Looney Tunes Back in Action? No. Okay, no, so it's not great, but this movie sets up a punchline that is the main character is Brendan Fraser's body double, and then at the very end of the movie, he meets Brendan Fraser. Brendan Fraser says something like snide about like, hey, aren't you, like, who are you? Go get me my coffee. And then Brendan Fraser punches Brendan Fraser in the face. <laughs> and it's quite good. I like that. But also, but also, this movie was bad and didn't do well. Warner Brothers' history seems to be plagued with we want to be a part of this thing but we don't quite know how to do it so we're just gonna blame it on all the people working on it and then keep rebuilding it from the bottom up until it works or hire people that we know can do it and then not give them the resources they need to do it but yeah like this movie felt the beginning and the end of warner brothers animated features for a good reason. There are people in management positions at Warner Brothers that seem to not know how to run a film industry. It kind of feels like they should, doesn't it? Yeah, like, you would think. I, I don't know how this happens. Feels like that would be their job. Yeah, I don't know how this happens. Thank you for listening to Director Video. VHS? VHS? I have been your co-host, Tony Arbusto. And I have been your co-host, Andy Reyes. I'm exhausted from talking about this movie, man. <laughs> like every tree. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> <sighs> Cheers. I am on Twitter uh, at theaterbats with an er. I am at. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at royalty underscore valens. You can find the comic that I do at inspiredbytrueevents.org. Today's comic is about thin mints. Ooh, thin mints. So you can uh, you can also find uh, our podcast over at direct2.video. We got some. Video snippets, uh, a nice teaser if you ever want to get somebody introduced to what exactly it is that we do. Um, You could also, if you want, wherever you get your podcast, uh, iTunes, Google Play, uh, what was the other ones? There's a lot of them. Stitcher. Stitcher. It, if... uh, there's. I looked this up recently. There's. We're on like Last FM and Podbean. I didn't put us on either of those. We're just there. So yeah, if if I guess you can review us there. Yeah, if the thing you have us on lets you give us five stars, you should give us five stars. Yeah, and then leave a little review saying, "I like when these guys get sad about a bad movie <laughs> that they talk about for two hours." Um, I love it I like when how many I like how many Disney owls there are. I like how this one guy constantly clips his audio by clapping when he doesn't mean to. Hey. <laughs> I like how they personally attack each other for no reason. I don't know. Uh, and you can also find uh, our theme song, Penguins on Parade. It's done by Lee Rosevere on free music archives. Music for podcasts two or three. He's done a lot of music for podcasts. Yeah, he's done like five. So you should go so. check them out and then use them for your podcasts if you have one. Or you could suggest one for our podcast if you think, hey, you know what? Penguins on Parade sucks. We should do this one. And we'll say no. We've 
had penguins on parade for too long at this point we're not just gonna switch it up just because you want to and then we're gonna fight on twitter i mean i you and i are gonna do imaginary person i would i would defend you imaginary person maybe we should maybe we should maybe it's time for a change season two andy's been talking about season two for a while we have been and it's because i know that we have passed our first year anniversary here's the thing we switched feeds a couple times oh yeah that's right don't know when our first anniversary is anymore um, because we had problems with our first feed, and I ended up hosting it on my own site now. Yeah. I'm trying, and to I just got that site to stop crashing when I uploaded podcasts. Seven nineteen twenty sixteen. So I, I guess in July. Oh wow! Of twenty sixteen. Wow, we really overshot it. Yep. Well, well, then we what what we can do to ring back. in the new year. Is do that do, do take two for the Lion King two that we've wanted to do for a while? Maybe we could do that. Like New Year, maybe, New I, Us. But I don't want to watch the Lion King two again. Why not? It's a good movie. Because <laughs> it's a bad movie. It's fine. It's it's actually good though. Oh no, it's not. How can good. you how can you come to me? How can you walk into my house and after watching this on this, this fucking garbage? <laughs> Okay, well, next time, we will be watching Swan Princess and Swan Princess 2, Escape from Castle Mountain, alternatively called (laughs) The Secret of the Castle? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Can you let me die now? Can I rest in peace? Absolutely not. If the ghost of John Smith can't rest in peace, neither can you. Seven Swan Princess movies. How does this happen? And look, at one point they decided the Swan Princess was somebody else. This might be her kid? I think it's her kid. Everyone in Swan Princess Royally Undercover is wearing sunglasses. (laughs) What? What the fuck? (laughs) You could buy it for $10. (laughs) Yeah, fucking right, asshole. (laughs) Why? What? Oh. The fuck? The fucking frog has sunglasses.